Hey, folks, welcome back to the Lights Out Podcast. Here we are. We are short Chris Lido, but I'm Miguel Dorati. That's Mike Davis. And uh, we're doing a deep dive. Means we got an MMA pioneer or rebel or whatever you want to call it. But Travis View is probably all of those things. We got Travis View, 50 Fight Club member, and uh, he's got at least double that that many fights, at least. So, <laughs> yeah. so we're going to go deep, Mike. Uh, well, I'm going to let you take it along, but Travis, let's say hello. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Awesome right. stuff. So, Travis, here's the issues we got. One, you got 100 fights. Okay. <laughs> and, like, I'm mentally ill. So, I mean, that's, that's a big problem. So, okay. I got through as many of your fights as I could find. And I think, like, a month and a half ago, I said, hey, Travis, <laughs> you want to jump yeah. on? You go, yeah. I'm like, Okay. And then I started looking at your record and like, I knew it was big, but there's yeah. fights on there that if like you had 20, 30, even 40 fights, I would absolutely concentrate on yeah. that. I am completely ignoring in this yeah. interview. So I'm going to apologize ahead of time. No worries, man. <laughs> but you've got certain fights on your record that I think you probably never been asked about yet. Sure that like when you look at them from like a different like point of view that people yeah. were like, wait a minute, that's bonkers. And I think <laughs> I unearthed a bunch of those. Yeah. Yeah. So our goal, I mean, you're, you're a pretty measured guy too. Like, so like you're, sure. I've seen your interviews, you're a real measured guy. My goal is to make this a shoot interview All right. at the end of this thing, or at some <laughs> point in this, I get you all fired up. I'm not even going <laughs> to lie about it. Normally I, right. I don't tell people that. That is my goal with you. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Travis, I, I heard actually, you know, to get right from the very beginning, I heard that you, you come from like a pro wrestling father or like yes. a like a family of you know part of part of in the in the in the sports entertainment stuff. Is that is that where some of this comes from? Oh yeah. Um it was before I was born, but uh my dad uh did a little bit of pro wrestling on on like a regional level. Um, That's cool. Uh, did like well, it was all fairs. regional. It was all yeah. regional back then. Yeah, um, you know, like county fairs, and he would travel around. and And as I got a little bit older, he would tell stories, and uh, I loved hearing those stories. I I grew up a huge fan of pro wrestling, and and uh, yeah. So when he would tell stories about it, I was I was all ears. So so Travis, like Miguel, if I tell you, I got a big giant heavyweight comes from a pro wrestling like family standout wrestler bounced at a couple bars in his day you would say to yourself oh that guy talks a lot of shit <laughs> like for sure you know you put that guy in a room he's he's yelling at somebody and there, there's you know some something is being said travis have you ever in your 100 fights <laughs> no you never talk you never talk no, i never have i I've always had respect for my opponents. Um, I think that's where it started. Um, and, you know, I, I wrestled all throughout high school and in college. And I've gotten my butt kicked before. I know how it feels to get my butt kicked. And, uh, I mean, that, that humbles you. And I, I've, I've never talked trash or, or anything like that. It, I've never looked at it as a fight, you know, when I, when I was competing or, you know, still am. I've never looked at my opponent as, like, I'm going out to hurt him. I'm, to me, it was always just a competition. And I, I enjoy competition. And 
And uh, I mean, that's one of the main reasons I've, I've never had to talk trash. I, I never really felt it was necessary. Now, being a big body, you know, with your build and things of that nature and your skill set, had you ever thought about going down the pro wrestling route? I thought about it initially. I, you know, I wrestled in college. When I was done wrestling in college, I was, I was looking for something to do. Um, I, I'd known a few pro wrestlers from uh, Minnesota, uh, and uh, I just didn't feel like I had the uh, the personality to do it. Um, like I said, I, I love pro wrestling. I, I watched it. I was a huge fan. I just didn't think I had the personality. Okay, Miguel, so, were you always kind of quiet, like? Yeah, there you go. Strong silence. Now, as a bouncer, though, there had to be a couple of times where you had to put an ass whooping on somebody. Like that's not competition. Was do you have some experience like that, or is it pure competition for you? It's always been competition. I mean, yeah, when I was bouncing at at bars, but I never looked like to hurt nobody. You know, like I'm I'm six two, and you know, I ended up having a lot of tattoos and you don't have to say a lot when you're, when you look like that. And, you know, it was, it was intimidating for other people. I, I've never really been a, a loud talker or, or anything like that. I've never had to. So Miguel, your standard question, I I'm, I'm stealing it. I'm apologizing ahead of time. Did you get into a lot of street fights as a kid? Never. No, I've never punched anybody in my life. till my first MMA fight. So this leads us into our first question. So the first time you ever punched somebody, was it September 7, 2001, and the Ultimate Wrestling won against Jeff Greer? No, no. We we did probably 10 to 20, I guess you'd call them amateur fights prior to that. <laughs> okay. None of that's on your record. No, okay. no. This was like, I mean, it was below amateur. You know, I mean, it was... Well, was it in Minnesota? Talk, talk about the scene, because up there, you know, yeah. even back then you had, like, up in the Dakotas, you had, like, uh, Captain Nelson up there. Like, they were, there were yeah. shows you could fight. Iowa. Talk, yeah, talk about so, those early days. So I just got done wrestling. I, I went to college for four years. I wrestled all four years. I, I did well wrestling. Um, I was about a year away from my degree. I was going to, to be a cop for law enforcement. And I moved back home after my senior year. Um with all intentions to, I, I was about an hour away from my school with all intentions is to go back, get my degree and, and become a cop. And I, I went to a bar um, to, to, uh, to get a, like a bouncing job, to get a job just for the summer. And there was a big dude there. He was, uh, you know, clearly a, a, an amateur wrestler himself. And he, him and I started talking and he's like, Hey, I'm doing these. I don't even think it was MMA back then. He might've called it NHB. No barred. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I'm doing these shows here monthly. Uh, you should do it. You know, and we were talking wrestling and, and I'm like, I, I'd never gotten to a fight in my life. I, you know, I just walked in to get an application for a job and, and he's like, no, you should do it. Uh, so he gave me his card and on the, the name on the card was Brad Kohler. So that's how I met Brad. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, All right. he, he, I'm trying to hold my excitement. I apologize. He, he gave me, he gave me his card and, I literally threw it away. I had no intentions of doing it. And I talked to a couple people and they're like, yeah, you should do it. Cause it was my hometown and, and you know, people knew about it. And I called him a couple days later and he had a school, like an MMA school. He was running a school up in like Minneapolis. 
and he's like, Hey, come up for a, for a training session with me and uh, we'll see how it goes. So I drove up there, literally knew nothing. I, I, I'd never watched the U. I maybe watched UFC like one or two, but, and he's like, you're ready. Like, yeah, I hit pads like five weeks. He's like, you're ready. I can get you a fight next week. I'm like, no, I'm not. He's like, I, I need to train for this. He's like, he's like, no, you're fine. So literally like a week later, I had my first fight, um, small bar in Oatana, Minnesota. Um, there was probably 20 people in the crowd and, and 15 of them were my family. Um, that's bizarre. That's bizarre. Yeah, well, there, there was no athletic commission back then. No, so, no. What's bizarre is that there were so few people there. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it, it was, that just was a, there was a time when MMA was so hot. All you had to do was put up a couple posters and people would show up. I, I mean, this was even before then, really. I mean, this was like 2000. I mean, maybe 2001. I mean, people just didn't know. And so I, I won that fight, basically just took him down and, and punched him a couple of times and had no clue what I was doing. And, and Kohler's like, like, let's do this again. And it was, it was basically like we were a, a traveling circus. You know, we would, like I said, there was, there was no athletic commission. So we would just travel from town to town and Kohler could sell anything to anybody. And he, he'd talk to the bar owner and say, hey, you know, I got this ring, blah, blah, blah. And there's about four or five of other other guys. And and he'd set up a ring and, and, and we'd go fight. And, and he, he'd bring in opponents for me to fight. And I remember he would always, I would, I would win. The guys just, I was just athletic and big and strong. And Kohler would get on the mic after I won and he'd be like, hey, anybody in the crowd want to fight this guy? I'll give him $1,000 if they beat him. And I'd Jump, uh, bikers would would jump in the in the ring, and I'd fight a couple of guys, a couple of those guys, and, and would they up. would they still be in like their leather vest and jeans yeah. at this yeah. point? That's big old belt, big old belt buckles. That's fantastic. Big old cowboy boots. <laughs> this is yeah. why I love Brad Kohler. Yeah, we'd pack up and we'd head to the next town, and it was like a traveling circus. We did that for probably a year or so. How much would you get? How much would this traveling circus pay you? He'd maybe give me a hundred bucks, you know, sometimes, but I didn't really expect anything. I was, was, you know, I was a young kid. I was just out of college. Um, (laughs) You know, he'd pay for my hotel. He'd buy me, you know, one thing I'll say about Brad Kohler is I know he screwed over a lot of people, but he always treated me really good. And uh, shit, you were his moneymaker. I know. Well, he, he took care of me. He really did. And, and, uh, you know, he, I'd come up, he'd g- give me hotels for the week or the weekend. He would uh, give me food. You know, he'd, he'd take me out to restaurants and, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of bad things or whatever said about Brad. But I, there's not a lot of bad things I can say about him. He, I mean, I knew what he was. You know, everybody did. Everybody knew he was, he was full of it. Everybody knew, it, you know, when he said things were on pay-per-view we knew they weren't on pay-per-view <laughs> we didn't care you know did you get a did you get a piece of that pay-per-view percentage at any point yeah everything anything times zero is zero so that's exactly <laughs> that's a good hey, but let me ask you so now, now you're doing this traveling circus with Kohler now Kohler has been around I mean I know from the early you know mid 90s early hook and shoot show yep. bought in there for Travis Fulton. Yep. I mean he had to see you and be like 
you know, all right, when was the first time he offered you a fight outside of Minnesota? Because he had to be like, we got to take this guy out. I can make more money off of you. So we we did that for about a year. And like I said, he'd give me a couple hundred bucks or a hundred bucks and sometimes nothing at all. Like I said, I didn't really care at the point. But then I somehow I got a hold of uh, Victory J in Omaha, Nebraska. And I called him. I don't know how I got his number, but I called him. And he's like, yeah, I can get you on a card um, and I can give you 500 bucks. And I was like, 500 bucks? <laughs> like, that, that was like huge to me. I didn't realize guys were getting that much money to, to fight. So once I once Kohler found out about that, he wasn't too happy with me because, you know, like, like you said, I was kind of his money man. And, and But, I mean, I think I went down there and, and that was like my first – like one of my first fights outside of Minnesota. So Victory J was your first sponsor. Am I correct? Yeah. 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 He always, he, he gave you shorts and stuff like that. Yep. I had, I mean, again, remember I'm looking at your record. So there's obviously a lot missing. Like if you're telling me there's 20 fights before you had your first one, obviously I believe you. Mm -hmm. um, but the first one I saw that you were out of town was February 16th, 2002 in a heavyweight tournament, extreme challenge yep. 46 where okay, the yeah. winner of that got to go to Hawaii. Yep. And this is one of those underrated tournaments. Like in terms yeah. of, um, you know, we always talk about like high-end indie events. A lot of them, you know, including Federico Lapenda and what he was doing overseas. Uh, in my opinion, this one turns, this, this one kind of lives yeah. up to that. Um, you know, in your first fight, I think you fought Keith Jardine, actually. Mm -hmm in that tournament. Why don't you walk us through the tournament? I've got the names. If you're having issues with the names, I'll fill them in. But yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was an intense tournament. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that would have been pretty, I think less than five prize pro fights in my career. Um, yeah. First fight, Keith Jardine. And it was, it was probably my biggest or the, the, the first time I fought into like a big crowd in those shows in Minnesota. Those were, I mean, he was drawing maybe a hundred people, 20, That's you know, crazy. yeah, it was, it wasn't, there weren't big crowds. And then I think that was in, it was in Iowa. And, uh, it, I mean, it was a big show. It was, it was a good crowd. I meant, um, that's the first night I met, uh, uh, Schnocky, Papa Schnocky. He was the announcer that night. No, he was not the announcer. It, okay. I, 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 all right. I said, I sent you a message regards to this. So I'm a big fan of Big Papa Schnocky. Like, I love the guy, you know. And Big Papa Schnocky was not the announcer. He was handling the ring card girls. <laughs> so I think this is the earliest footage that exists of Big Papa Schnocky because he had not transitioned to that ring announcer okay. role, at least not for Mighty Cox at this time. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds right. That sounds right. So... The other people in the, uh, in the tournament, you had Ben Rothwell, yep. Mike Radnoff, who was surprisingly incredibly good. Yep. Uh, you had Kerry Shaw, and you also Keith Jardine and Ron Faircloth. Yep. All of those guys, minus Radnoff, have made it to the UFC you know, yep. later on. Yep. So why don't you walk us like, when did you get there? Did you, did you guys even weigh in? I mean, it's a heavyweight tournament. Um, I don't remember weighing in. Kohler and I drove down. The night before, I don't remember a weigh-in because I don't remember seeing any of those guys. Um, I remember 
the, the first guy I saw was, was Jardine, and he was like 220. I know he was really light. Um, but I don't ever remember having a weigh-in. I know Polar and I drove down the night before because it's not too far from Minnesota. Um, I remember like Kerry Shaw was a big boy. Um, Ben's always been big. Um, Radnoff was huge. Yeah, like you said, he he was very. I mean, he was freaking huge guy. Tough as tough as nails. Like yeah. underrated heavyweight. That I'm surprised didn't get the call to the UFC yeah. at some point. You know, I, I like I'm shocked that you know they weren't looking at him. You know, if 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 yeah. they were, you know, it doesn't show on his record. Um, your first fight was against Keith Jardine. Why don't you walk us through there? And Greg Jackson is is cornering him, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, first fight, Keith Jardine. Um, first, uh, I think it was a jab. First jab I threw, I knocked him out, and uh, it just landed on the button. You know, I'd, it's not like I've been practicing that. I mean, my training for that was basically wrestling. At that point, Kohler and I were not training stand up or, or you know, I knew nothing. I was just a big, strong wrestler, and and then threw a lucky punch and then it landed and uh you know I, I was big had power behind it and and yeah knocked him all i think it was six seconds yeah, it was a six second knockout yes yes it was and um your second fight is against mike radnoff yeah so now was this was this the first time you had ever lost in mixed martial arts yeah yeah and i remember because we i mean he was he was strong i remember he's the first guy that i fought where like we got into the clinch and he was able to like put me into the cage and, and, and that's where my like inexperience really started to show. And I think he, he finished me or he cut me with a knee and uh, they, they stopped it on a cut, but that was the, the first time where I felt like some adversity and, and uh, first guy I wasn't able to take down. Yeah. I, how did you feel at that point? Afterwards? Yes. Like I had to get out, get away from Kohler and find a trainer. If I wanted to continue to do this, get away from Kohler and find a trainer and, and, and learn more. Now you were in Iowa, you know, Militish hotbed. I, you know, obviously they kind of came into your career afterward. Is that when you started kind of cross training with them or did you find a different camp? It was uh, a little after that. Cause um, after that tournament, we went to Super Brawl, and uh, that's where I met like Tim Sylvia, um, Pat, and, and and all the guys. Um, it was very shortly after that where I started cross training and, and started actually traveling down traveling down to Iowa and, and, and training with those guys. Okay, so Super Brawl, it's actually twenty four. It was a two day tournament. Yeah, Miguel. Yep. Listen to these names, dude. You got Ben oh, Rothwell, Kerry Shaw, Travis View. So there, there's three guys in the UFC. Tim Sylvia, Mike Whitehead, Cabbage Correa, Ron Faircloth, Kevin Jordan, Jason Lambert. All of them made it to the UFC. So now he goes from what I described earlier, an extreme challenge, you know, 46, as an underrated, incredible tournament that should yeah. be talked about. To Super Bowl 24, which on American soil, arguably speaking, is probably the greatest heavyweight tournament ever to have taken place. Yeah, I got to agree with you. That was, it was loaded. 
Yeah, you you know, I mean, hats off to, to the Super Brawl guys because this is 2002, so Zufa was already there, but just starting. You know, we, we didn't yep. feel the power yet. And yep. from the very beginning, Super Brawl, I mean, th that's where Bolander debuted. That's where Pete Williams debuted. You know, uh, they were getting guys from Matt Hume's team in the very early Super Brawls, you know, one and two. So they always put up good shows. Did it feel good going out to Hawaii? Was it like, and now let me ask you a question. How much did Brad tell you you were getting paid for this? Uh, well, you know, at that point, because he had always talked about Monty Cox to me, and, and Monty was like this, this magical person, because he'd always, he'd always talk about Monty, and, and, and so at that point, he had kind of handed me off to Monty almost, um, where I, Monty wasn't managed me yet, but um, Monty was definitely at the picture at this time, so I think that's another reason why Brad was so honest with me. Um, is is because he knew Monty was going to be involved, and and Brad's the one that that you know again Brad's the one that introduced me to, to Monty Cox. Um, I would have never had the success I had without Monty, so I don't think I was probably lied to too much at that point, just because um, Monty Cox was around. Did you hear that? At that point, that's that's the key yeah. word. So let, let's talk about Super Bowl. So now we, I've already established. Wow, just based on the entrants that are involved. But Miguel, as we have talked about, like with some of Frederico Lependa's shows, you're dealing with people that aren't really familiar, that are throwing the event, aren't really familiar with the tournament process. So when injuries happen, they don't know what to do because there was no alternatives. There was no alternates in it. So your initial fight was supposed to be against Mike uh, uh, Radnov in a rematch. And for some reason, that bout got canceled. Was Mike at the event? Yeah, he was, because I took my picture with him. So why did he pull out? I have no idea, but I, yeah, you're right that I, I was supposed because it was a Friday, Saturday. Yeah. And all those guys fought Friday night, and I got a bye to, to Saturday night. So um, Mike Radinoff takes a plane ticket out there and pulls and out of the fight. Yeah, he was definitely out there. Oh my God, I'd be I'd cancel his hotel room. I'd make <laughs> him figure out how to get home. Holy cow. All right. So your fight gets pushed. And then on day two, um, I think you fight cabbage. Am I yeah. correct? Yep. All right. I need you to walk us through that fight and I'll explain afterward. So 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 go ahead. Well, he's coming so, off a one punch, six second knockout. But that's in a tournament and, previous. No, no, I understand that. And, and I do understand that. But so he's feeling good about his power. Now, Cabbage is probably not going to make you feel that good. Why don't you take us through it? Go ahead, Mike. So, so back then, I think it was one 10 minute round. And then if there wasn't a winner, they went a five minute overtime. And I'd never beat up somebody so bad as I beat up Cabbage for eight and a half minutes. I pounded on him with everything I had. I said to him, and my conditioning wasn't the greatest at the time, but I just remembered his face looked like a like a, a volleyball. I mean, I, I put so many welts on him, and it's probably the biggest slam I ever had. I put him into the corner, and I I thought I was going to break the ring. I, I beat him up so bad, and I just gasped. After about eight and a half minutes, I, I couldn't keep my hands up. And so we went – 
it, we went the first 10 minutes and, and there was no winner. So we went to an overtime period. Why was there was, no winner? Did they rule it a draw? They were the draw and then the winner, the. Okay. But was it, Miguel, like it had to be Miguel, a draw or there was no, 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 there was decisions. All right. So cabbage fights on the first day he fought Kevin Jordan. The place would have been empty if a cabbage hadn't have fought that day. Yeah. This dude was a huge yeah. monster ticket seller. Like, yeah. And there was probably over 3,000 people there only yeah. to see him. Yeah. So whenever you have issues at one of your events and there's video footages of it, and it's so ugly that you don't want people to see it, Travis, have you ever seen this fight before? No. Okay. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Dude, I got UFC Fight Pass. I am psychotic on YouTube. I go to I go to everywhere to try to find stuff it didn't exist so when i go to fight pass i go you know what man let me look at that whole super brawl you know event and it's hidden in there except the first four minutes of the five minute first round because you're right they were 10 minute rounds and they stopped it at five because because uh cabbage was getting the shit beat out of them so bad that they like i think I'm not going to say I think I'm going to I, I'm going to just kind of imagine because of, of what I believe that I, I saw. So this super raw footage is multiple cameras, multiple angles. Yeah. You got like these announcers that are literally on point like this. This show for the time yeah. is very, way ahead. Of, I mean, it's way ahead of the curve, including the announcers like right then, even in the UFC, were like, Hey, you know, what's a guillotine? You know, <laughs> Jeff Osborne, they weren't even doing that stuff. It was, yeah. this is what's going on. They were super technical. Miguel, the first, they had the last minute of the first round. And it's one camera angle from like way far away with only audio of the audience. <laughs> and it's because the ring announcers or the, the commentating team were screaming at the referee to stop the round and like, they were giving instructions to people around it to screw over Travis view. I am certain of that. Travis, how does that make you feel? Because you know, you're there, you're the home. This affects a lot of things. It affects money. You know how you negotiate oh, yeah. like, fight and stuff. And am you, I lost? You know, you're a guy, you're a guy that you come to do your job and then you get this shit. Like, like how, how, how do you swallow that now? 20 years later, you know, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've, I've, I've been in enough situations like that where, you know, going on to enemy term, you know, enemy soil and, and fighting somebody in their hometown, it don't surprise me at all. And like Mike said, Cabbage is a huge star. They Huge. They need, they need him to be in that tournament. It, it don't surprise me at all. So let's further the conversation, Miguel. So now it's round two, okay? Travis goes and gets the takedown. Still, I mean, there is, you can sit here and go, okay, well, you know, maybe the, the footage got screwed up. And come on, bro. It just, I ain't buying that. They, they, there was, no, Super okay, Bowl I guess said, like, famous like, for that. Because if you remember, Vitor Belfort made his debut there against John Hess in like Super Bowl or early, early one, and that video never appeared either. You had to, you had to see an audience view of it. 
So well, they well, hide here, like, they hide things. Miguel, you got like instead of like one person with the video camera, they had two people standing next to each other at every at every side. So you had six cameras on the ring plus the overhead one. So now round two comes. Still obviously the, the bogus, you know, feed. This referee, every single time Travis gets a takedown, he gives him about 20 seconds. Yeah. And he knows Travis is fading and he stands him up. Like bogus. Bogus. Like even he's not, I mean, even when Travis is only trying to catch his breath, it's so fast. The referee is clearly tilting the table. Am I off on any of this, Travis? No, right before you were talking about that, that, that clicked in my head. I remember that. Is I would get takedowns and they would give me like 20 seconds. And I remember Kohler was in my corner. And I remember looking at him because that was something new to me too. And he didn't have he didn't have, have an answer for it. Yeah, before while you were talking about that, that that that's definitely how it was. Okay. Travis, how do you shake everybody's hand? Like, like, like as a nice, you're genuinely an incredibly decent human being. By the way, how I saw you handle yourself after that fight. Well, first of all, I was completely exhausted. I mean, that's the, <laughs> the most tired I'd ever been. I was so tired. I remember I couldn't keep my hands up. Cabbage's power wasn't, I mean, he was, he was hitting me with everything he had, and he couldn't knock me down. But I was just too stubborn to go down. I couldn't keep my hands up, um, and I, I was just exhausted. I mean, I, that's the most tired I had ever been in a fight. That's the fight that I still, to this day, look back at. That that's the fight that taught me conditioning. How important conditioning is. Okay, so, yeah. how was the conversations with like TJ DeSantis and everybody backstage after this took place? We're going to call this the Honolulu screw job. <laughs> um. I mean, the thing that, that kind of got me over was they told me they obviously saw my talent and, and they, they told me I'd be in the UFC someday. I didn't know if they were BSing me or not at that point, but they told me I was good enough to fight in the UFC. And at, at that time, I mean, that, that's, what, that's what's the goal. You know, back then, that was a huge deal. So, Yeah, wow. so they basically told you, hey, put up with it. We'll put in a good word for you and we'll just leave it at that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I was I was twenty twenty-one years old. Like I was in Hawaii. They gave me I bet I got like two thousand dollars. Uh, <laughs> I didn't care, you know, like I didn't know anything about the sport. I didn't know, you know, Tim was in the in the tournament, Tim Sylvia. I didn't know who that was, and I didn't know anything about Monty Cox. I didn't know anything. Like I was just, you know, I'm from a small town and First time I ever flew in a plane, and I didn't care about that stuff. Like, that I remember, was your first plane ride? Yeah. I remember, like, how stupid I was, though. I was with Kohler, and, like, the morning of the fight on Saturday, like, we met these two girls, and so we hung out, like, on the beach all day. Um, like, we, we went surfing. Like, Kohler and I went surfing with these two girls, and... I, like I fell asleep on the beach and I got like a horrible sunburn, <laughs> you know, like, and this was, and this was Saturday. I was fighting Saturday night. Like, I didn't care though. Like I would, I didn't look at this as like a future career or anything like that. They gave me like 2000, but I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm in Hawaii. 
at that point, I didn't know anything, you know? Sure, sure. But, so, but you how long to... were you in Hawaii for for that tournament? Three or four days. Okay. And then you just fly right back. That's a long flight. Now, but there's your hookup because you, you met Tim Sylvia, you get Monty's there. They told you, hey, you're a UFC caliber guy. They stroked you a little bit. My, at some point, like, what's the next phone call you got that was a, serious? Was it Monty? Monty followed up in a week, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> from 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 that point on, I I didn't really have too much contact with Kohler anymore. He had pretty much passed me on to Monty, and and then that's when my career really started rolling. Okay, so who did you start rolling with after, like you said, your career got serious? I think the first time, the first real trainer I had was Dave Manet. He was in Minnesota. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Great teacher. Unbelievable teacher. Um, Man, a few words, but phenomenal. Yeah, I was just going to say, you could never understand him. And, <laughs> and uh, it, I don't know if he ever showered, but <laughs> it, uh, the guy was an unbelievable teacher. I mean, he was a great fighter, and he was an unbelievable teacher. So he was still in Minneapolis, and I was about an hour and a half from him. Um, and I would drive up there quite a few times a week and, and train with Dave. That's great. How old school is Dave Benet? He used to fight with contact lenses. And in a couple of fights, they got blown out. And you could just yeah. see, like, lose his, like he's fighting blind at some point. But yeah, just, yeah. Just, yeah. He was blind without his contacts or all his glasses. He was, we always used to make fun of him. He was so blind without those. Yeah. So <laughs> this brings up at this point, like, like, like I said, like the, the fight finders off, obviously in regards to yourself, but you also uh, encounter one of the most prolific uh, fighters in mixed martial arts in terms of overall fights. You end up fighting Travis Fulton on the Iowa challenge. It's your, Technically, your 11th pro fight, and Travis appears at that point to have broken 150 bouts. Mm -hmm. How does that fight come about? And were you aware of how much experience Travis had coming into this fight? So I was definitely managed by Monty at this time, but, but Kohler was still with me because he cornered me for that fight. And I think it was just because Kohler knew Fulton. Um, no, I still didn't know anything. I didn't know Travis had that many fights. I didn't. I mean, I'm sure I could have asked, but I, I didn't really, I didn't really care. You know, I, at, the, at that point I, I was training with Dave and, and, and my skills were coming along, and, you know, especially my submission skills, still a good wrestler. Um, but I still didn't know a lot. I didn't know a lot about the sport. Um, yeah. I didn't, didn't know Travis Fulton at all. That's wild. So you, you, you beat Travis um, by decision. And about a little over a year later at the Iowa Challenge 11, uh, Chad Bergmeier's event, you win a split decision. Yeah. Okay, so now that, that's the Iowa Challenge. Obviously, both times you fought, fought Travis Fulton. That's kind of Travis Fulton's home base. Yeah. How did that second fight go? Did you believe it was a split decision? No. So um, it was in his hometown. I think it was in um, Waterloo. Okay. And, and Waterloo is, is a rough town. And I remember it wasn't the most exciting fight, but I, I clearly won. It was not a split decision. And I remember I was in the ring and it was like, they were just waiting forever to announce the winner. 
and Travis kept talking to me and he's like, Hey, you know, you can have the belt, you can have the purse, but this is my hometown. I, I can't, that you got to let me win. You got to let him know it's me the winner. And I'm like, Travis, I'm not leaving this ring until I'm declared the winner. Like I'll stay here. And we, they, we would literally went back and forth and, and, and I think Chad came in the ring or came in the cage. It was in a cage. He's like, you know, I'll give you your fight purse, but we got to announce Travis Fulton the winner. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm not leaving. Like, give me the belt, give me my money. I'm taking the win and I'm going home. And it was literally about 10 minutes. And and, and they finally did declare me the winner. They they called it a split decision, but yeah, they didn't they didn't want to give me the win that night. So what was it like working with Chad Bergmeier as a promoter? You know, I don't really I don't really remember anything bad other than that. Like I know, you know, Travis was his guy and they were in Travis's town. They didn't want to give me that, that victory, but, um, you know, I, I got paid. You know? did, did, did you ever train with Travis Fulton? I never trained with him. Did, did you ever, did you ever get another offer from him for, for a work fight or anything like that? Because, you know, no, so I, fought, I fought Travis three times, actually. The first two were the two we just talked about. And the third one was in like Virginia. Like, I don't know how they got him, but it was in a pretty decent show. Um, it was in that. It's not listed. Yeah. Anyway, I, I finished him at, at that time. I, I cut him with an elbow and I cut him pretty bad. And I remember he was, he was full of blood. And he's like, I'm like, Travis, stop this. Like we, we can't because we were good friends at the time. And you know, we were fighting on the same cards together. Um, and I'm like, Travis, stop this. Like, we got to stop fighting each other. So, yeah, I fought three times. Uh, yeah, that looks like it was in November of 2007, a show called Smash in Virginia. Yeah. Where, was the big, where are you reading that at? Uh, I found it. Uh, it's, on, it's on Sure Dog, actually. You did. Oh, dude, that's the one database I, I absolutely hate because it's so hard to, yeah. to work. Wow. You know, were you surprised at Travis's recent uh, dealings with the law? Blew me away. I couldn't believe it. I, me too. I, it makes me very sad. Like, I knew – I considered him a, a really good friend, probably my closest friend in the business. I mean, maybe other than Monty, just because I've known him so long and so well. He's cornered me a number of times. I've cornered him. I was just blown away. Like, unbelievable. It, it, is he called you collected all? No, I thought about contacting him, but I just – I don't know what I'd say. I, it's something like – if it – if it's something else, anything else, I could, I just, yeah. Yeah. There's certain things you just can't work past, you know? Exactly. exactly. Like I just can't, like if there's anything else, I would offer him the shirt off my back. The bad, I just can't. Yeah. Throw some money on his books, you know, do something for him. Yeah. Yeah. He just got brought up on a second charge, same of a different person. So, but I mean, that, unfortunately, you know, but, but in the ring, you, you said he was like a friend and, and you guys do have so many fights, you know, he has so many more, you know, but there's a lot of mutual experience there. And there is that little bit of like, uh, like, did you guys, you know, were you held back a little? What did you guys you, like, were you, did, did, did you, what did you talk to Travis about in the fight game? What, like what were those conversations like? I mean, we, we could hang out before the fight and we'd always hang out after the fight. Um, and when we would fight each other, 
like we would talk to each other. I, I never looked at it in like fight. I never looked at him like I was trying to hurt him. You know, I, I, I considered him my friend. And uh, like I, we shared hotels, hotel rooms together and, and, you know, all that stuff. But I've, I've never looked at him like as, a, as an opponent. Like I've just. Did he ever, know. did he ever try to get you to drive around like all those little small shows with, you know, the groups of guys that he used to beat up on a, on a weekly basis? <laughs> no, he was never involved in that. He, he had his own thing going in Iowa where he was, he was getting, <laughs> he's probably doing the same thing down there. So. Yeah. 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 All right. So, you know, Travis, I think you're, you might be blocking your, your microphone. There you go. Yeah, it's much better, much better. So UFC 40 is your UFC mm-hmm. debut. You know I mean, it's the first time at the big show. And when you walk out, they mentioned it's your 24th fight. Uh, I'm lying. It only shows 14, I might add, at this point. But they had mentioned you only had eight months of mixed martial arts experience. Are, are you yeah. not counting your beginning fights at that time? Because this is November 22nd, 2002. Yeah, I mean, I... Mixed martial arts, like actually training mixed martial arts. Like I was training with Dave. Um, I, at, at that point, I'd gone down to, to Militich and was training with them. Um, but yeah, like eight months of actual like mixed martial arts training. So you fought Vladimir Muchenshenko and you took the fight on two weeks notice after yep. Frank Mir pulled out. Yeah. Yep. Um, how does this opportunity come about? Had you been in contact with UFC at this point? Or was this the first time they made an offer to you? It was Monty Cops. Um, I remember when he gave me the call. Um, it was in Vegas. Uh, it was it was Tito against Shamrock. I mean, at that point, yeah, that was the biggest UFC there was. You know, it was it was just starting to become on to to be on TV. Like, um, like I remember like the the best damn sports show period. Like, interviewed those two interviewed tito and frank or ken and that was like a huge deal that that you even saw clips of the ufc on tv Mm -hmm. um so yeah being at the mgm grand it was a sold out crowd um i knew who vladdy was i knew who my opponent was because he he was a a unbelievable amateur wrestler yeah um so i knew who he was um i was clearly outmatched uh had no pride business being in the UFC that early, um, especially against Vladdy and uh, an, an eye opener again. Um, but the, the crowd and the atmosphere and, and yeah, first time being on pay-per-view. I mean, that, that was, uh, that was a big deal. Hey, hey yeah, what'd, you get, what'd you get paid? I think five and five. That's not bad. No, and, I probably got a couple thousand from sponsors or maybe a thousand from sponsors. Yeah. I think I walked away like $6,000. Did Victory J take care of you? Gosh, did he? I don't, I think it was no shorts. Full contact fighter. Was it full? uh, I think it may have been. You were wearing a victory. No, you're right. You're right. It was Victory J. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Old sponsors sticking by you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Victory J, man, like his contributions to the regional mixed martial arts scene, like back in the day, unfortunately, we'll never get its just due. But I, I really yeah. respect him a lot, man. The guy did a lot for a lot of different people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. you, know, you had mentioned that you started working out over at Militich at this time. 
but you still had Brad Kohler in your corner. Was yep. that just as a, a thank you to him? Exactly. Um, he, he got me started. He, he got me involved in the sport. He, he introduced me to Monty. I mean, yeah, that was basically a, a, a thank you. Absolutely. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. And, and like I said, like, you know, Kohler screwed over a lot of people, but I was one of the good, you know, I was, he, he treated me pretty well. Were you at the event where Monty Cox, he's got a book coming out. He, he writes yeah. about Brad uh, faking a heart attack and taking his own ambulance out of the venue so he wouldn't have to pay people. Yeah, Monty and I have talked about that. I think I think I fought on the card. Um, I'm pretty sure I got paid. And then that's when he faked the heart attack. Um, because of your purse was so much? Yeah. Um, yeah, Monty and I have talked about that. We couldn't really narrow down the date, but... That's kind of like folklore, you know, like a lot of people know about that. It's kind of crazy. That's the funny shit, man. Yeah, That's unbelievable. Big Papa Schnacki announced that show, and I remember him calling me up there and he's like, I'm never, ever going back there. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds just like him. <laughs> yeah. And were you at the, any of the shows where Brad would forget the scale and he would just like lift up the fighters and go, oh, yeah, you guys are uh, kind of the same weight? And like he was the actual scale for the event. No, nothing, nothing like that. But I mean, <laughs> he pulled so many crazy things that it was just unbelievable. But you know, there was there's no commission back then. There was there's no rules. It was it was like the wild wild west. We, we could do whatever we wanted. I mean, he could he could have did anything. You know, he was making pretty decent money, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so. Miguel, he mentions Wild Wild West and no commission in Minnesota. That's what you refer to as a segue. Because on April 18th, 2003, International Cage Combat 2, where you were supposed to fight Harry Moskowitz oh, at, the yeah. at the Target Center of 20,000-seat venue, was canceled. Yes. Now, I know a little bit about this. I'm a Midwest guy. Could you walk us through your experience of not fighting for them? Oh, man, that, that was a huge card. That was a huge deal, obviously, at the Target Center. Um, I want to say Jeremy Horn was the main event. Um, yeah, the Militich guys were there. It was it, it was going to be a big show, and I was pumped up. I, I'm pretty sure I sold tickets, and that's how I got paid. And, uh, yeah, and Moskowitz was a UFC veteran, so that, that always looks good. Yeah, and then, and then it didn't happen. Why did they say it got canceled? I have, I can't remember. Okay. So what I recall is that there's, and, and I might be blurring some of my facts, because, you know, I mean, I'm, we're going back 20 years. Yeah. So there was like some sort of farmer's union or collective that needed to like I don't know. They wanted to use it as an advertising tool. And I think what they did was they teamed up with uh, Brock Larson. Yeah. If, if I recall yep. correctly, in order to pull this event off and they get the target center, they load it up. Monty's the matchmaker, I believe at this point. And they wait all the way to the last minute. And they see that there's like, I, I don't know, maybe not as much money coming back in or I, I maybe they, didn't like have the actual money that they were just kind yeah. of throwing their name around to kind of 
you know, yeah. do like a money grab. And uh, they canceled the event last minute. And I remember how furious everybody was. Did you turn your ticket money in or did you still have your ticket money when that event was canceled? No, I turned my ticket money in. I, I can't remember. Yeah, because Monty Match did the matchmaking, but there was a different guy that was the promoter. And I don't, I, I don't remember getting paid or anything, or getting money back or anything. All right, so you didn't turn your ticket money in because no, some no. people did, and yeah. they never got it back. Yeah. No, that's that, what, that was that's what happened to you, right? They, let me. I'm sorry if I'm unclear. You you took your ticket money, you handed it in, and then they never got paid. Yeah, I never got paid. But did you get your ticket money back? No. Oh my god. No. No. Man, Miguel, it's either hoodwinked or bamboozled. One of the two, maybe both. Well, I mean, you know, it's the wild, wild west, right? That's actually, they cancel this event the day of. Am I correct? Yeah, day of, I think. Saturday, yeah. Was there weigh-ins the day before? Rule meeting, the whole, like, normal stuff? Yeah, yeah, but by that point, they're... There was at least weigh-ins in a rural meeting. I, I remember I remember meeting um, Moskowitz. Um, yeah, but yep, that's it. Hey, nice to meet you. Now, Travis, at this point, you're a pretty big ticket seller. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Miguel, I've seen Travis fight like maybe four times in Minnesota, and he had this T-shirt of like himself coming out of a diesel truck that 90% of the audience was wearing. Like it was just like, I, I, I'm hustling t-shirts and I'm like, I, I, I don't, these people aren't going to have any money. Like they, they felt, but they bought Travis view t-shirts. Like I remember my wife at the time, God rest her soul going, Holy shit. Who is this guy? You know, he sells a lot of tickets, <laughs> but um, how much money do you think in tickets you sold for that event? Well, I, I remember when I when I fight in Minnesota, it was very easy for me to sell a hundred tickets. A, a ticket was what twenty five bucks. So, Your I mean, dad used to hustle tickets for you, oh, big yeah. time, big time. Yeah, yeah, he he loved some of the fights. Yeah. Wow. So you think you think they got you for twenty five times a hundred, huh? I mean, I I'd always sell at least a hundred, and that's you know the cheap tickets, you know the. Tables were talking more, so. <laughs> Miguel, how were those phone calls afterward telling people that the event is canceled and I don't have your money? <laughs> now, you, you smile, but, I mean, that's got to that's gotta be a low point, no? Am, am I wrong? Oh, yeah, I mean. I mean, talk about, yeah. did, you, did you consider saying, fuck this job, you know? Like, how, how does that make you feel? Because. Yeah, I mean, if you look at your reputation, Travis. Like, there, no one says anything bad about you. Like, yeah, like most yeah. people You're are going to understand, right? Mo- people are going to understand, but there's that few people that are going to hold it against you and stuff like that. It's a horrible spot to be in. Yeah, I mean, and guys, it's happened quite a few times. Like, Oh, we're getting there, Travis. I think I figured yeah, that out. We're getting there. It's happened in Minnesota. I mean, that's honestly why I think – no, Minnesota doesn't do shows anymore because it's happened so many times that 
yeah, one, it's embarrassing, you know, and two, it's, it's, it's a pain in the butt. Uh, but it, it's happened a lot. It, you know, if you look at like the other promoters that are actually good regional promoters, that hurts them yeah. probably more than somebody that just stole the money and is never returning again. Yeah. Because you know, now they have to explain to people, no, no, the event's actually happening. I don't do those types of things. Exactly. Like it, exactly. it puts them in a horrible spot, man. Yep. Yeah, because I remember, man, this is quite a few years now, probably five more than that. Somebody was going to try to do a show in Minnesota because we haven't had a show here forever. And that's exactly what the, the this promoter ended up not doing the show is because ticket sales were so low because nobody believed that the show was actually going to happen. I mean, it, it killed mixed martial arts in Minnesota. Wow. Wow. Nobody, wow, does, wow, shows wow. nobody, nobody does shows here anymore. Now, yeah, is, you got, it, you is, got... is there Indian territory? Well, there is one guy way, way up. Jeremy Bjornberg. Yeah, he's doing, he just started. I think he's obviously 2020, he didn't do anything, but it's not a lot. Yeah, Jeremy Bjornberg's in Minnesota. He, he does, yep. like, yep. at the Mystic uh, Casino. Yeah. He's a super, super solid dude, man. Like, incredibly yep. knowledgeable in regards to sport. Manages a lot of the Duke Rufus guys. Works with the LFA. Like, he's he's legit, dude. Super yep. legit. So, Travis, one more time. You're kind of covering your microphone. I apologize. I'm sorry. Nah, it's okay. I just, dude, we're trying to catch every word out of you. Um, so... Now, I, I got one question I, yeah. about the Minnesota scene while we're still here. Now, in Minnesota, now you talked about you had Manet, you know, you have Kohler, who, you know, is mm -hmm. what he is, but he was a pro. And he then, didn't help. Kohler didn't help that scene. But, at all. No, he did not. But there were also <laughs> guys like Greg Nelson and eventually yeah. like Brock Lesson. Like, what? Yep. Did you ever train with Brock? Like, I yeah. mean, he would be like a perfect, you know, training partner for a huge guy like that. Like, what was that scene like there before uh, we let Mike take it away? So then, uh, you know, I, this is a little bit later on, but, yeah, I started training with Greg Nelson at the, the academy, the Minnesota Martial Arts Academy, and I met Brock. Um, we had known each other through amateur wrestling um, just very briefly, and then I, I helped him train for about, I think it was six months to a year probably. Um, I think it was two of his title fights. Something like that. Wow. How was he as a training partner? Awesome. One of the nicest guys I've ever been around. Um, so did you work out with him at Greg Nelson's or when he opened up his private training facility on his own compound? Both. What, what was the, the training facility like? And Mike Russo worked out there with you as well, am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what was um, that training facility like? He had a, a, a really nice weight room. I, you had to walk through that. I mean, it was like everything you'd ever want right there. And then it was, it was like basically a wrestling room. Um, it, it was basically in a big barn. Um, great guy. I mean, took, took care of me, took care of the fighters. Um, Who else was in that room with you? Cole Conrad. Um, Stud. Uh, Marty Morgan was the coach. Uh there was a couple other guys, but was Mark Kerr up there at this time? No, no, he wasn't there. Um, Did you get there after Mark? Yeah, I came after Mark. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, um, now, was it a straight wrestling room? Is that the kind of trait, you know, Brock like to stick to his guns? Or was did he have someone like Nelson there? Because Nelson's a technique guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was there. No, it was it was pretty much live goes. Um, I don't don't remember doing a lot of technique work, but it, it was live sparring. I mean, we, we, we were going hard. I, I know I'd heard rumors like Brock didn't want nobody like hitting him. But that's not true at all. Like, he was fully committed and, and we had live sparring. Cole Conrad was, he was the man of the room. I mean, he's a star. He, he was an incredible wrestler, um, but he had good stand up. And I mean, he, he was the man in the room. Okay. Now, I mean, the rumor was that I, I mean, it, I mean, I'm from Chicago, Minnesota is you know, quite a bit away from, uh, from here, but the rumor was that, uh, he didn't like to lose even in practice. So even if you were to kind of get one up on him with the intent of showing him some technique, uh, he would shut the entire conversation down and be pretty angry. Is that, is that, no, I don't. I've never seen anything like that. And, and now that you say that, his BJJ guy was from Chicago. Um, Caprito. Caprito, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was in the room too. Um, but I've never seen anything like that from Brock. Like, Marty was the coach. And, and I don't know how well you know Marty, but he, I mean, he was a huge, huge stud here in Minnesota. Um, great wrestling coach, uh, great guy. And I mean, Brock was, I never seen anything like that. He was, he was willing to learn. And, and obviously Comprito was great on the ground. And, and I think he gets a raw deal, man. Like if you, if you look at, you know, he had an illness yeah. that they said takes about 16 months to, to two years to kind of get through. Mm-hmm. And they explained is the one thing that you're going to lose is muscle mass and cardio. And he, I think he just came back too early, but yeah, like look at the guys he fought, but Frank yeah. Mayer, and and if you think like he doesn't have cardio, you know Shane Carwin is another example. But if you want to look at somebody that does that when he has cardio, look at this fight against Heath Herring. Yeah, I mean the guy absolutely went fifteen hard minutes against Heath Herring. Yeah, yeah, I mean he was he was a stud. I mean I there's no doubt about that. I mean obviously everybody knows, but. Um, I would, I would dare to say he was underrated. You know, he, absolutely agree with you. I 100% yeah. agree with that statement. Yeah. All right. So, Miguel, this takes us to our international portion of the interview. <laughs> and one of my favorite international events is Octagano Extremo in Monterey, Mexico. Oh, boy. How was your dealings with that? So they, I, I was living in Rochester, Minnesota at the time. Here it comes. Go ahead. And I, I'm going to fly out Thursday, weigh in Friday, fight Saturday. Okay. Go to the airport in Rochester, Minnesota at the time. And they tell the, the airport, the, they tell me that they booked my flight out of Rochester, New York. Okay. That's great. Hey, hey, okay. hey. Wait, wait, wait. Not yet. Not yet. When did you get the ticket? Oh, I'm not sure. Was it probably like the morning of? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead. Okay. okay so Just making, they, sure, making sure we had the same experience. So go ahead. Yeah. 
So they said the only flight to Monterey, Mexico is the next day, the day Friday. Um, or no, 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 no. The only is, is Saturday, the morning, the day of the fight. <laughs> so I, I, this may have been a fight. I don't remember Monty and be involved. Um, I think I contacted him and said that the only fight I can get down there is, is the, the morning or the day of the show. Um, Obviously, they didn't care. They just wanted me down there. So I flew down to Monterey, Mexico. Did you pay or did they pay for that ticket? No, they paid for it. Okay. Wouldn't, wouldn't pay for a corner, though. Okay, um, wait. Did the Gusso give you a return flight at that time? Or did they give you the return flight once you got there? No, they gave me the return flight because okay. uh, <laughs> that's nice to have. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. You know, certainly, you know, I don't think that's asking for too much. They, they probably wouldn't have had it, but since they had to rebook me, they probably had to fly me home. So I fly down to Monterey, Mexico, um, get there late in the afternoon, go from the, the airport uh, directly to the arena. We didn't even go to the hotel. Um, and it was in like a bull arena um, where they have like like rodeos. So, so were you dealing with Master Vic, uh, Victor Davila at this point? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. Um, so walk into this bull arena, and this is where I meet, uh, I meet uh, Justin Eilers. Um, he's fighting on the card. So we're, we're warming up in the back, and it's basically dirt in the back, back. <laughs> Um, we're, we're warming up next to like bulls and, and, and <laughs> it is probably 2000 people, um, and maybe a thousand, but it was a decent crowd, I guess. Um, I, I fight, I can't remember who I fight, but I, I you fought, up, I'll tell you who you fought Mark, uh, Tullius, Mark Tullius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely not my most exciting fight. Um, basically laid on him for three rounds. And uh, after the fight, we're waiting for the, the announcer, the announcer to, to announce the winner and the crowd. But did, did they say there's an overtime round? No, but they, they oh. wanted to. Oh, well, uh, okay. 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 Good, so, good. so the crowd starts, the crowd starts chanting Uno Mas. Like they want yeah. one more round. And they yeah. just start crying Uno Mas. Uno mas, uno mas. I thought they were saying you're an ass because it wasn't the most exciting fight. So I <laughs> and and by this time bottles and stuff were come flying into the cage and I'm, I'm that, thinking they're. I had I'm that thinking, same experience. I'm thinking they're calling me an ass. So I start throwing the bottles back at them and then giving everybody the middle finger and and I don't even think they announced me the winner. Um, I remember Justin. Justin had fought before, before me. So you were the main event. We were the main event. And uh, Thank God. Justin's like, we got to get the hell out of here. And it was, it was almost a riot in this bull arena in, in the middle of Monterey, Mexico. And we barely got to the back. We, we got our stuff. I don't remember getting paid because we, we got into a cab and we went directly back to the airport. We didn't even go to the hotel. And we stayed that we stayed the night in the airport because we thought 2,000 Mexicans were going were gonna, to, you know, take us alive. So <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it turned out to be quite the experience. I, I tell you, that's a video I'd like to see, to be honest with you. I, 
you Breaking Bad? Like, I didn't think you had that in you. Like, it's, you know, no, it, people it, chanting it, bad names at you. I mean, it, maybe that's what you need, you know? And, and the crazy thing was, is all they wanted was one more round. And I, I was hearing something else. And, and yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a full-fledged ride in the middle of Monterey, Mexico. So, <laughs> what, did you have any interaction with the promoters at all, Master Vic? I don't think so. Like, I know he didn't pick me up at the airport. He may have talked to me a little bit at the arena, but I so, remember. As did did as you he, take a taxi or did somebody pick you up? No, from we the took airport? a taxi. As he didn't even have we, a ride for you? No. As soon as we got out of that ring, we got our stuff. And I remember changing at the airport and I still had all my fight stuff on. All we wanted to do was get out of there. Did they ever contact you afterward? No, I don't think they wanted me back. I I didn't want to go back. Like I I learned a lesson what, that night. Do you, Do you remember what they had offered you pay wise? No. Okay, yeah, so I went out. I, I went out there with Wes Sims. Okay. And I speak fluent Spanish, and okay. it's like you don't think that like looking at me, but it's it's Mexican Spanish too. So they had Wes do like a press tour, and I would like you know Sims has got like the the sense of humor of like about an eight-year-old. Yeah. So him and I are really good mm-hmm. friends. That's that, that's essentially that's what that means. So they would ask Wes a question and his response was, well, I'm here to not only fight, but give back to the community. Um, I see all of these children in the street. I plan on giving my entire purse away after I get out of this like whorehouse, which and gave the name of the whorehouse whatever is left after I get out of there is going to the kids. I promise everybody. And like, he would say these absolutely just like nice, meaningful things. And then he would take like a sharp left turn. And uh, the taxi driver at one of the taxi drivers on the way to the event was because they were quoting less in the newspaper. He wanted to show us what was said in the newspaper. He thought it was the greatest thing. And we're like, yeah, he's the one that said it. The guy literally drove like from about 10 different taxi stands showing off West. Like he's got the guy that was saying all this crazy stuff in the newspaper. Hmm. So the caveat, the interesting caveat to that story is Miguel, do you know who Victor Davila is? Uh, as far as uh, a Mexican promoter that yes, I've never met him. Okay. So he's actually employed by the UFC. Okay, is he their Spanish-speaking announcer nowadays? And, and that, and whenever they do events in Mexico, they use, like, his promoter's license. Yeah, yeah. So Octagono Extremo is an affiliate of the UFC. Wow. They might even be on Fight Pass. That's crazy. Can, can, can you believe that? Hmm. Yeah. Had, from the background he came from, I, yeah, it's a little surprising. Dude's a total border rat. Listen, I'm never going back there. Yeah. I lived in Mexico for three years. I know cartel scumbags whenever I see him. He's 100% <laughs> in that category. Travis, you don't have to say it. I will. The dude's yeah. a border rat scumbag that takes advantage of people in Monterey. He's, uh, don't even get me started on that shit bag. He would fly us down and then get us return flights when we got down there to, like, various cities that we didn't come from. Like, we were, like... Like Prince McLean, that was on the Ultimate Fighter, fought down there from Columbus, Ohio. He got on like a flight to Idaho or Utah. It took like 36 hours to get home by bus. 
Wow, that's crazy. Oh, dude's a total shit bag, man. Horrible, horrible promoter. Um, one of my favorites. <laughs> it's just on the international so, side. Oh, always good for a story there, but I, 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 I like that you had to get out of there and didn't even worry about yeah. Wait, where am I getting paid? No, 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 not worth it. <laughs> no, yeah. we just wanted to get out of there. I remember, I was probably saved my life that night. <laughs> All right, so one of the fights that I guarantee just the novice would look over in your record is one of the more fascinating ones for that of myself. Uh, and Miguel, I might add. You fought for uh, Heat FC in Italian Brazil. Yep. Uh, Luda Libre guy, Carlos Bajeto. You yep. won by decision. So I believe uh yeah here was it lorenko he's a uh, nuevo uno black belt i believe he was the promoter how they only did four events but they were all superstar events in terms of like the people were on it how was your fight against carlos and what was your experience like before i kind of yep. throw in why it interests us so at that point carlos was like a huge superstar in brazil stud. yeah huge stud um, I didn't know that at the time, um, flew down there, didn't bring a corner, um, met Forrest Griffin. He cornered me. Um, so we went, we, so like most fighters, you, you go out to the, the, it was actually in a ring. We went to the ring, you go to the ring prior to the fight, just to maybe warm up or whatever. So I remember we left our, our locker room and we were going to the ring and they had guys in each corner, military guys with like M16 machine guns in the corner. And I'm like, oh my God, this isn't Minnesota no more. I, I ran back to my whole, my locker room as quick as I could. And I didn't go back out until the, it was fight time. That, that shook me pretty good. I'd, I'd never seen anything like that before. <laughs> um, so the fight itself, uh, I met, I just, I, I continue, I could take Carlos down at will. And I, I, I pound on him. He, I cut him above both of his eyes really bad. It was blood everywhere. We went three, five minute rounds. And, and I remember the ref said, you know, do, do you want to go one more round? I'm like, and I remember telling the ref, like I could do this all day. I, if he wants to continue to fight. So I think we fought five, five minute rounds and after the fifth <laughs> round, they, they stopped it and, and they gave me the unanimous decision. Um, <laughs> but at the, at the time, I didn't know Carlos was was a stud. You know, I, I, you know, I, I just remember I, I could take him down whenever I wanted to, and and he, you know, he believed in that jujitsu, um, kind of like I believed in wrestling, and and I, I, it was a bloody mess. Right, so one of the interesting things about about Carlos Bajeto is he's got wins over Trey Telegman, Kevin yeah. Randleman, Ben Rothwell, and Brandon Hinkle. So the guy's a friggin' stud. Yep. How was your experience in Brazil? I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, first time, you know, traveling uh, that far. Uh, got always always treated really well. Um, back then, I didn't, I didn't have any kids. Um, so I remember we stayed there for... A good week, I think, almost a week. Good move. Yeah, I remember Forrest didn't have any clothes with him. He wore the same clothes like the whole week. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't bring any clothes with him. 
Did they lose his luggage? I don't think so. I don't think he brought in clothes. Hey, you travel light sometimes. You never know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what, maybe it was I'll, like I'll give, maybe I'll it was give, like Spirit Airlines. He just I'll, didn't want to pay the uh, you know, the thirty dollars for the luggage. We can have our <laughs> Brazilian friends confirm this, but Barreto, you're talking about Barreto as a legend. If I'm not mistaken, Barreto was the first person to wear a blue gi in a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Championship. Like now, the blue gi is pretty common, but sure. it was never seen before until him and his teammate in the lighter weight did it uh, way back in the '95. Yeah like that yeah so so yeah definitely a guy who's been around that's a that's a nice win too going down to brazil and beating him up there you know I, i'm a fan of luda libre you know i mean it's just like it's kind of like it's not really talked about much but like we had yo hill uh the olivera on the other day carlo prater i, I i'm you know, i got no skin in the game but i i love the luda libre guys you know the real old school mm-hmm. uh cats out of brazil all right so this is where miguel comes into play march 13 2004 mfc euphoria the first one uh you fight roman zensov miguel what was your idea of making this bout and was that your first choice for travis yeah yeah if, if i'm not mistaken that was a tournament that was an eight-man tournament it happened at the same time as a light uh, weight tournament so we were trying to fill two weight classes at once. We, we weren't able to complete any of those tournaments, obviously, but, uh, but that's where it was. If you look at it, that tournament, uh, as far as heaven is, is concerned, was pretty good for the time too, you know? You know, uh, I, I think the issue was that it was spread over so many days, like different events, and people were just kind of picking off matches that you guys, you know, had next in line. Well, I told a story that, you know, Pride actively blocked my Eve Edwards, Joaquin Hansen fight in that tournament in the lower weight class um, by invoking a, a, a clause in uh, Joaquin's contract. And that put everything to shit, you know, it made everything harder to, to keep the tournament going and everything like that. But, uh, you know, Travis, an American guy, you know, at that point, still hadn't gotten a lot of love from like a, a bunch of promoters. He was still like a road warrior stuff. So, it, you know, there was the chance there, the hope that, you know, if Travis could get through the tournament, we would put a belt on him. Um, you know, there, there were a couple of Justin Isles was in that tournament, I, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, you know. Travis, is that what you remember? Or was this not a tournament? Yeah, so the first time I fought for you, that was like I took it on short notice. Okay. Um, and that was against Roman Zenstoff. Um, and then, yeah, then you brought me back. And that was the first one was that. Gotcha. The first one was part of the eight-man tournament. Yeah. The first time I so, fought uh, uh, Brazilian, uh, Joao. Yeah, Antoine. Yeah. So Zenstoff at this time was the M1 heavyweight champion. Yeah. And you made a definitive statement in that bout. You finished him in a second round. Look, he just, you don't even remember. That, that's crazy. Like, I look at your face. Mm-hmm. You finished him with elbows in the second round. And M1, legit organization. And there was very few, like, you had Pride, you had the UFC. And although that Eastern block, you know, coming out of, coming out of M1, not a lot of pretty records coming out yeah, of M1. Yeah, yep, yep. But the dudes, 
I mean, they got put through the meat grinder, man. They, they're just tough as nails. Yeah. Zensov certainly uh, stood out, you know, amongst amongst the Eastern European elite. Yeah, I remember um, all those Russians guys, were, they were so tough. Um, but again, they, they didn't have the wrestling background. You know, I, I could take them down pretty easily. They, they hit like freaking tanks. <laughs> but just, at that point, they hadn't they hadn't developed their wrestling yet, and um, I mean Roman was was a tough guy, but I remember I could get on top pretty easily, and, and yeah, I finished with him with elbows. Yeah, you smashed him, man. Yeah, you smashed him, big time. And um, you also fight in Jungle Fight. You fought Leopoldo Montenegro. Um, I think those fights were about 12 days apart. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how was it dealing with Walid? Walid Ishmael. He's a character, man. He, 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 he what he, what you see and, and what you hear is what you get. He, he's a character. Um, <laughs> he, uh, you know, I liked him though. I, we never had an issue or anything, but uh, he was definitely extreme and, and, intense and uh um good guy though you know he 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 walks it he walks the walk and he talks the talk so and you got paid though so he paid you absolutely no problems okay oh shit you know what man leopoldo montenegro was the guy that fought dave schultz in a fixed fight yeah you were the first fight after it holy shit i got that confused i got my notes I usually don't yep. screw up like that. So did, did you find that a little interesting, that bout? Um, in regards to, yeah, did you I, feel like you, you, you were getting offered a fake fight walking in there? No, because uh, I knew um, I knew Leopoldo was, was Waleed's boy, and but there was never any talk of a, a fix or there was never anything like that. I think they assumed that he he could beat me, and um, he he threw a triangle on me, and, and I slammed him a, a big slam, and knocked him out, and uh, but yeah, there, there was never no fix there. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that Walid was pretty confident in him. Hmm. Okay. And was Frederico Lapenda still with Jungle Fight at this time, or had he already exited? Yeah, I don't remember that name. Okay. Yeah, he probably had already exited. Wow. 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 Okay. And then you go back to October 15, 2004. Oh, wait. Yeah, October 15, 2004. Uh, Mega Medoff, uh, Abraham, oh, yeah. for Miguel again in yeah. Euphoria. So this is a part of that tournament. Yeah, you know, this was in the second about. round. Um, we, we loved fighting for Miguel. It was like a huge, because the Militich guys were involved. Um, and it was like a big family get together, you know. It, Miguel t- treated us great. Um, I still remember going down to the, because it was at the Trump Casino. Mm-hmm. And we would, uh, you, Miguel, you would always get us free passes to the, uh, to the cafeteria downstairs for the, for like the workers. Mm-hmm. And, and we could we could go in there and eat, and it, it was just fun. It was like a family get together because all the Militich guys were there, and, and Monty was there, and, and it, it was a great time. 
Well, but so was that your biggest the, payday? Well, really fast. When when you fought Zensov the first time, that is that feel good card that we oh, talked about, Mike, with other people. Like Ebersole was on that card. Yeah, Wisniewski was on that card. Clemente was on this card. Trevor Prangley. So like it was, and, and what happened is the Russians showed up all Red Devil, all in yeah. black outfits with the red lettering all, you know, making mean faces and stuff. And the American team just started to click and say, hey, you know what? And yep. hey, they, they and they almost swept the night. So yeah, that, that feeling carried over. It was always us and the promoter yeah. was Russian. So it was always like us versus them. Yep. Huh. Yeah, no, um, I, I attended a few of those. So in that uh, Mega Madoff you had fight, you had uh, Jeremy Horn and Tim Sylvia as well as Pat Militich cornering you. Um, after the final, yeah, after that final bell rang, he hammered you with an illegal elbow. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Um, tough dude. I remember getting ready for that fight. I think I was training at Pat's, and tough guy. He, you know, he, he had some Sambo background. Um, I, I landed a couple of shots, though. Uh, standing and, and that's what opened up my takedowns for me um but i don't i definitely don't think i was probably the favorite in that fight going in going into it um but yeah i do remember that that, that cheap shot at the end so miguel travis receives a cheap shot like like a heavy elbow meant to hurt him after the final bell what do you think travis does after that <laughs> I, you know, I don't think we have a repeat of when he was starting to throw beer cans back at the crowd. I, 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 you think he, I think he shook the guy's hand, went over to his corner, shook their hand, no issues. What's well, I think, I, you know what, F Fedor was in his corner, so what was I going to do, you know? I, it was Fedor Emelianenko, because he was at the shows, right, Miguel? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, Fedor was in his corner, and I remember at that point I knew, I knew mixed martial arts, and I knew who Fedor was, and yeah, I'm still like a little... No, go I'm ahead. still like a little, I'm still like a little kid when it comes to stuff like that. Like, there's yeah. freaking Fedor Emelianenko. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get over there and shake his hand. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fedor is, I mean, greatest of all time. We all agree on that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Miguel, I'm, I'm like a huge fan of what you guys are doing at the time. You know, Bodog was phenomenal. Euphoria, like. It was like a gift they kept giving because I was at so many of the events. I got to see him live. So you guys had mentioned Antoine Joaude, uh, February 26, 2005. Um, Joaude was a 2004 Olympic wrestler who was Valley Tudo, man, another Luda Libre guy. And at this point, you switched camps to Dave Manet. Yeah. What, what, was it just a, uh, the distance thing between Militich? Yeah. I was going, I was, I was still living in Minnesota and I would travel down to Militich's like Monday through Wednesday night or Thursday. I'd work out then I'd drive back home and I did that for a while. I, Tim would always, Tim Sylvia would always let me stay with him. Um, but it just got to the point where it was just too much. Uh, and, and Dave was a great trainer, you know, so. Yeah, Antoine Jaoud too, he was interesting in that you're talking about a guy that spoke five languages like pretty well like wow very really? well like yeah he was he was brazilian of lebanese descent so he spoke arabic and where he made his name in the beginning in mixed martial arts was 
he went to the original Abu Dhabis. And if you remember in the original Abu Dhabis, they had an Arab division and he swept the Arab division every year they had it and then entered the, the real tournament. But he, and he was probably the only really legitimate guy because he'd been trained in Brazil. Everybody else was kind of, you sure. know, one dimensional and stuff. Yeah. But he was definitely a guy who, who was around very impressive, very impressive dude and a great win. Yeah. 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 You know what's kind of crazy? Like looking through a bunch of your fights, you have received more groin shots <laughs> than like almost any. I don't think a fighter that we're ever going to interview is you got two groin shots that night and you've got several others in the future. Is, is that like a re is, is it odd to you that that is so reoccurring in your bouts? Yeah. I don't know if, it, if it's heavyweights or. It, I really have no clue, but yeah, probably not something I want to be yeah, you connected want to. to, but yeah, right. now let yeah. me ask you, did you ever, did you ever get hit low and, and in a fight and said, all right, fucker, I'm going to give it back to you when you get cleaned up? Like, is that not your style? It's not your style, is it? Nope. No, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm naive, but I never thought it was intentional. You know, I, you had one fight where you took four low blows. Four in the first in the first round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. I if my corners were halfway decent, they would have freaking got me the win. I ended up losing in the third round on that fight. Yeah, it was like uh, Attila Vey actually got you four times in one round. Yeah, uh, not not Attila Vey. It was uh, I got it in my notes. Oh gosh, he, he was Russian. I fought him in uh, Sengoku. God, I got. I oh, here it is. It's uh, Stan uh, Nedkov. You're right. Ned, I got it right here. Yeah, Nedkov. Multiple yeah. kicks to the groin. Third round, Travis was laid out. Yeah, looking like he was going to yep. throw up. That's in my notes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. That's four crazy. in the first round. Four in the first five minutes. And all that says in the uh, on short dog is TKO punches. That's all you know. All yeah. that's for all that. Four. Yeah. 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 Okay, so in Sengoku, like Bas Rutten, Bas Rutten, who's doing the play-by-play, is going, yeah, I don't think Travis should get up at this point. I think he's he had enough. He just needs to get out of here. This is over. Yeah. No fault of Travis. Why did you continue on? I don't know. I'm not very smart. I ended up – I have no idea. I, I guess it's just in me to, just to continue to fight. But and you know what's crazy? Like, did they give you your win bonus for that? Did they find the other guy? No, I'm sure they didn't find him, but I, I was paid a flat rate, so oh yeah. Oh, that's crazy. What was it like rolling with Jeremy Horn and what was the room of, of Militage fighting systems? What was it like back in the day? So I really didn't work out with Jeremy down in Militage when he left. Uh, he, he, he went to Utah and I moved out to Utah for about a year and just trained just with him. Um, that's the only reason I moved out there and, uh, phenomenal fighter, but I think a, even a better coach, um, made, made everything so much easier, you know, made everything made sense when he would explain it. Um, just a, a great person, but a, 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 a great coach, and and you know his his resume kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. 
Yeah, super impressive. Really impressive. Like even as an individual too. He's just yeah. you know real nice guy. Yeah. His word is is gold. Like, yeah. No, I, I respect Jeremy a lot. Um, you rattle off nineteen wins in a row. Like it's you, you Minnesota guys. We had Nick Thompson on last week, and like he had a crazy run in like 2004, 2005. Your run at this point is equally as impressive with 19 wins in a row. And you get back to the UFC, UFC 52. Were they inquiring about you during this 19 fight win? I mean, at this point, if you had five, six, seven fights as a heavyweight, you know, the UFC was actively talking to people. Yeah. So that's when I moved out uh, to Utah. I was training with Jeremy. Um, yeah, the UFC had contacted us. Um, and I fought Babalu and um, trained my butt off. You know, obviously, Jeremy had fought Babalu, so he, he knew Jer- or he knew Babalu. Um, yeah, they fought. They fought each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I uh, thought I was doing okay against him. He, he ended up catching me in an armbar in the second round. Um, but again, it was, it was UFC 52. So it was, he, you know, it was Randy versus Chuck. So again, it was a huge, huge card. Um, I remember I walked out to the, and we were the co-main event. We were the, we weren't the co-main event, but we were the, uh, what did they call that? Swing bout. Swing bout. Yeah. Yeah. But so we were right before, um, Randy and Chuck and I remember walking out to the octagon and like I saw like Cindy Crawford and, and Richard Gere and like Keanu Reeves like all these famous who and I'm like oh my gosh like this is a big deal like I'm not you know I'm not fighting in, in Brad Kohler shows no more this is this is the real deal <laughs> it, um, it, it, was, it was pretty pretty amazing wow so that was at 205 pounds. Mm-hmm. During this 19-fight run, I didn't see, like, I, I looked, I didn't see too many of them at 205. Had you made 205 prior to this? I was going to say, this might have been my first time making 205. And that's a stiff bout to have for your first yeah. time at 205. Like, I went through it. I was really looking to see if this is your first time. And a lot of the fight finders are real difficult regards yeah. to, to find weight, particularly at that time. Um, how was that weight cut? That one wasn't bad. I, I had a lot worse later on in my career. Um, that one wasn't too bad. I think I probably only started like at 240 and then came down. Um, later on in my career, I had some really bad ones. But, uh, you know, the UFC calls and they said, you know, you can fight 205. You can fight Babalu at 205. At that point, fighting. Why didn't they want you as a heavyweight? Not sure. Maybe because Tim was the champ and I was training with Tim. It's probably, um, yeah. Maybe. I can't hey, yeah, it's the Monty rule. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you a question. That, that, that night, that UFC 52. It kind of goes down as a kind of rough night for the wrestlers, you know. And I know, yeah. you know, you're you're a real wrestler first by mentality. Randy took a loss yeah. to Chuck. You had Trig and Hughes on that card, which is another yeah. epic battle here. 
you know, what, what, was there a little bit of that wrestler mindset at the end? Like, how, how did, you know, how'd you guys deal with the after fight party and stuff like that? Seeing them celebrating and you guys, the wrestlers kind of with their tails down. Well, I remember taking a long time after that fight and, and considering not doing this no more. And, and just because at that point, wrestling was, wasn't, that's not all you need to know at that point. Um, you need, you needed to know stand up. You needed to know jujitsu. And I remember taking a, a long look at my career and, and thinking of mommy, if I'm going to continue to do this, you know, I, I, I got to really evolve because yeah, at, at that point, um, you, you couldn't get by with just being a wrestler anymore. Wow. 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 Yeah. So Babalu obviously losing his second round by armbar. Um, what was shocking to me is that you made two or five. I'd met you several yeah. times in person at local events. And you yeah. know, obviously I said earlier that I'd seen you fight live. Um, like when you used to look at your picture, like on the fight fighters, like full contact fighter, <laughs> it was your head and traps <laughs> and like maybe this much sunlight behind you. <laughs> I didn't think you had it in you. Now, I had no idea that you could make 205. Now, here, 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 and listen to the totality of what this man said here. He went from 240 to 205, and that's not really one of the bad ones. All right. No. Cough up. Tell us one of the bad ones, man. <laughs> tell us a bad weight cut story. Probably the worst was uh, maybe the last. I was in the finals of Bellator when I was in the, the light heavyweight tournament and that's when i fought at tila Vey. Um, okay that uh the the commission shouldn't allowed me to fight I, I couldn't walk to the scale i had to be carried to the scale i i made weight um and then i passed out i got off the scale i passed out all i remember is i woke up and i, I was just bawling my eyes out i couldn't i didn't know any i didn't know where i was um, I can't believe the commission allowed me to fight. Um, but anyway, my corners ended up carrying me, carrying me back to the hotel. Um, no, actually, I think we went to the hospital because I got an ID. And yeah, I mean, that was by far the worst one. Um, wow. And what'd you come down from? Well, we were fighting, you know, it was like every month. Uh, the tournament was was every month, so I would make 205, and then I would balloon up to like literally 230 for the fight, and I'd be at 250 by like a few days after that. You know, I that's just kind of normally what I walked around at 245, 250, and so we had to we had to do that back to back to back three months in a row, and uh, I have no too I, much. My I I still communicate. I still talk to you with my corner. He's just a good friend of mine. And uh, we talk about that a lot is like, one, how did I ever do it? And, and two, how did they allow me to fight? Like, just unbelievable. All right. So, the Tunica, I, Mississippi, and the Mississippi Boxing Commission for the. Yeah, like, Tunica, they don't give a shit. They, no. they, they don't even know what they're doing. It's like a part time exactly. commission. They, they had no clue. Yeah. So, with the UFC 52. You know, one of the interesting footnotes of that is you're cornered by Tim Sylvia, Jeremy Horn, and Monty Cox. Yeah. So at this point, Monty, you know, we've interviewed him in the past, had said just Dana and he, he just, the two of them just never got along. So at this point, Monty 
has like 30 guys in the UFC lineup. And they're offering you 205 because Tim's heavyweight. Those are words out of your mouth. So they don't want money anywhere near their locker room. They're telling fighters we're taking his fight bonus back. If you tell Monty about it and he gets a penny and we find out we're never giving you any more, like they were actively going after Monty Cox. And the only way Monty got around that was by taking somebody's corner pass. Were you aware of that? No, now that you say that, it sounds familiar. Um, I would have did anything for Monty, though. I mean, it took area. Absolutely. He, there were so many different circumstances, so many different times where I got a fight or I got paid or I got paid even better um, just because I was with Monty Cox. Like, right. Honestly, he, in my opinion, he doesn't get the credit he deserves in the sport because I'm sure numerous other fighters would say the same thing is, is I, I wouldn't be involved in this sport if it wasn't for Monty Cox. I, I believe that. And, you know, you're, you're not the only person saying that. Yeah. Like, we're we're going to have him on again. We're going to go through his entire lineup of guys that he managed. Like, yeah. Well, the magic of Monty is, is, you know, you take a guy like yourself there and he could always keep you busy. He had the connection yep. with the Russians yep. and then, you know, with, with yep. the Japanese and stuff like that. But let me ask you, that UFC 52 fight, am I wrong? Was that your last UFC fight? Yep. Did you feel like maybe that held you back a little bit, like the, the Monty ties there? Because they really didn't have a 205-pounder. You could you know, and if they let you be heavyweight, you could have been in that rotation with, with those guys pretty easy. Yeah, I was definitely surprised that I never got a call back. Um, I thought I fought pretty well. Um, and I For had sure. some big wins, big wins after that. And, yeah, nothing. So – I kind of always felt that. Okay. Yeah, at that point, they were they were targeting Monty for some yeah. reason. You know, yeah. I think it's because, you know, Monty was, you know, doing his best by the fighters and, you know, there was no give with them. You know, like yeah. some managers, what they'll do is they'll sacrifice one fighter in order to get a different fighter a favor. And, yeah, Monty really didn't do that. No. No. No, you know, he, he yeah, was, everybody was handled individually. Now, at some point in, in terms of when you got to Sengoku, were you getting good paydays? You know, some of those fights that uh, Monty yeah, I think got for you? Monty got me like, uh, I think it was 50 flat for for the, the three Sengoku fights. Okay, was it 50 each bout or the completion of the three fights you got 50? 50 each bout. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, you fought Molao. That's- I mean, they, you know, and... You got paid, but you fought real tough when you were out yeah. there, man. Yeah. Well, be, yeah, you know, I mean, be, beating Fujita, you beat their guy. That's that's always good for the career over there, you know, because that, that elevates you. Talk, talk a little bit about that fight, because Fujita, older guy, one-dimensional, but a legend. Exactly. Um, I took it on short notice. Not really short notice. It was like maybe two weeks. Um when Monty told me it was, it was Fujita, I, I mean, at this point I knew and Fujita was like, you know, a huge star. And I remember, uh, it was at Saitama super arena. Um, it's the biggest, huge, huge, huge arena. And it was completely silent. Like I could hear, I remember being in the ring with Fujita and I could hear him breathing. 
Like it was that quiet. I don't know if it, it wasn't filled the capacity, but there was thousands of people there and they were dead silent. And I could hear Fujita breathing in the ring. I remember thinking that and, uh, Wow. Knocked him out, knocked him out with a jab. Uh, and I, after I knocked him out, I was the most surprised person in the arena because <laughs> I figured if I was going to win, it was, you know, I was going to grind him out and, and win a decision. Um, you know, nobody was knocking out Fujita at, at that time. He, he was, you know, old Ironhead and, mm-hmm. and uh, a legend of the sport and a legend of, of how, how tough he was. And, yeah, I threw a jab and it landed and, and knocked him out. And I was the most surprised person in the Saitama Super Arena that night. So, you know, we talk about like legendary arenas and, you know, MGM Grand, you know, Madison Square Garden, obviously legendary venues, but the Saitama Super Arena, it's a different yep. level, man. It's like the O2, you know, the O2 Saitama Super Arena, like to me, those are like a step up in regards to the legendary venues that we have here in the United States. Yeah, I just, I remember before we fought the day before, maybe the even a couple of days before we, we went and walked around it and it was just huge. Like it took forever to walk around it. It was just gigantic. And it took up, like, it seemed like it took, took up like a whole city block, you know, it was just enormous. And then you walked inside and, and the, the Japanese people are so, so respectful, you know. They, polite. Yeah, polite. Like so much different than, than here in the United States. And the, the crowd is, is completely silent. Like you, it was, it's it just a, a different situation. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I got to share a corner of Rankin fought over there one time. Um, and I was there with Bolanders, and we were both his corner. And Bolander looked at me and said, "Can we talk?" Because yeah. it was that quiet. Yeah, the library. <laughs> yep. Wow, wow, that's nuts. So now, did so you make you make two hundred five for for Mo, Mo King Mo? I made two hundred five for no. That was heavyweight. That was my second fight in Sungoku, and then my third fight was uh, the one where I took four uh, groin shots in the first period. Stan Nedkov. Yeah, and that that was at 205. After your bout with Nedkov, was there a conversation between you guys ever, or was that it? No, not really. That's that's bizarre, man. Like, I'm who was cornering you that event? I I couldn't get a a beat on it. It was a a friend I have. Still friends with him. Um, Wrestled with him in college. I definitely think if I had. You know, a more experienced corner that would have the fight would have not continued. No, no, they just shouldn't. Even Boss Rutten was like pleading yeah. for you not to do it. Yeah, like it was Miguel. You should have seen like he in the fourth round. He's literally just almost ready to throw up, and they're comforting yeah. him. And then he, and I'm like, all right, it's over. You know, I hope hope he's good. Get him out of the ring. And then it's just like, like I can keep going. Like what? <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where they shouldn't ask the fighter. No, no, no. I think that's incredibly rude. Like it's it's absolutely not. It's not even up to him at that point. It's up to uh, up to the corner. But you know, as as Travis stated, he just he wasn't equipped. You know, with the yeah. right guy. Like if you had a Brian yeah. Garrity or you know yeah. even a Tim Sylvia or anybody Jeremy Horn, yeah. that, that that fight was over. 
Now, no. was Monty with you? He went with me, I think, for the Fujita fight. Okay. I think that's the only time he went with me to Japan. Because what worries me it, here it, is, is after Ned Cobb, you know, with four low blows, like that's kind of like a cold way to send you off. You know, they could have had, did, did, did you feel like you, you, you should have gotten one more fight? Is that something? With maybe- Miguel, Miguel, they never even took a fight, a point from Ned Yeah. Cobb. They never yeah. even, I don't even think they put up a yellow card for that. No, nothing. You know, and, and here's the thing is it, a promoter can take that a couple of ways, but when you get it, like, from my feeling is the guy did that and Travis was pretty much nothing but a good soldier, right? He, he didn't yeah. complain, didn't make it ugly, let them raise Never the other guy's back. hand in the ring. And then, you know, so you, you look out for guys like that and, and bring them back, you know? <laughs> so was that something you, that you also thought about? I was hoping, I think it was – Maybe it was right after that that I started fighting with Bellator. That okay. well, right after that, you gotta remember that this just took place in May of 2009. And you know, there's fights in between this. Um, but your next fight of note that I have is King of the Cage, Mike Kyle, the no contest. Oh, yeah. 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 So that was in New Mexico, and I remember we we flew into New Mexico. Um they had a, a, a driver pick us up at the airport and I, we were driving to the venue to the, it was at a casino. And I remember we kept up driving this, kept up driving, driving this, uh, going up this mountain and we just went higher and higher. We were going in a circle and we just kept going higher and higher and higher. And I looked at my corner. I'm like, what the hell is the elevation of this? And it was like 10,000 feet. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I knew at that point, my cardio was done. And I remember we got to the hotel and there was like a long flight of stairs up to the, to the lobby. And I walked up those stairs and I was like winded. I was gassed. I'm like, this isn't going to be good. Um, yeah. And then the fight with Kyle is, uh, I think he landed a, a shot after the first first round i think and uh initially they gave the win to him and then Monty, about uh probably two weeks later got it changed to a no contest yeah so in essence uh, miguel what takes place is um he got punched after the bell travis gets punched after the bell and it affected him in a way to where he couldn't continue and um I don't know if it was on purpose or it wasn't on purpose, but it was absolutely after the bell. And then, like, as a commission, you know, as in Monty, obviously a brilliant mixed martial art mind, um, you kind of take on the totality of the participants and everybody involved. And at this point, Mike Kyle at the WEC event, WEC 20, got suspended in 2006 for two years because he kept kicking and continuing to go after Michael Olson, a down opponent, a guy that he already knocked out. And it was like, they needed like three or four people to hold him back. Like, I think there might be a chemical imbalance at Mike Kyle's like side. And it was almost as if it was a reoccurring, this is like his first fight back after like that incident. And immediately, you know, he tries to win a fight by foul. 
who uh, who was running King of the Cage at that point? Like, what promoter were you dealing with? It was Terry. Okay. Now, again, here's a situation where now Mike Mike had a reputation already, as as uh, our buddy Mike here pointed out. You know, and here's here's a situation where you're done wrong. Did they ever bring you back? Did they ever offer you make it? You know, sometime or was it just like, hey man, sorry, and shake your hand and keep going because. That's rough. that's some rough treatment, you know. Pretty much, I I don't know if I fought for King of the Cage again. Um, Miguel, you want yeah, to add? Yeah. He What's looks that? like the King of the Cage loved the bald white guy ripped yeah, up yeah. logo. They yeah. even had a, they even had a dude that they paid to open up the cage door that looked like their logo. Yeah, Travis could have filled that role. And they, <laughs> You know, and they didn't call him back. But that is rough treatment, I agree. Yeah, I don't think I fought for King of the Cage again. No, I did. I did, actually. Just, uh, it wasn't too many years ago. It was probably three or four years ago. I was in a small show in Wisconsin. Um, okay, yeah, Ron yeah. Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so Big Papa Schnacki was the ring announcer that evening. And Big Papa Schnacki probably called about a dozen of your fights. Yeah. Uh, did you ever get the opportunity to hang out with him? Did you know him at all? Oh yeah, yeah. Got to, got to know him pretty well. Um, I remember fighting in Reno, Nevada. He was the the announcer. I remember we we hung out a lot that night. Um, yeah, hung out with him a lot. He he did a lot of cola shows in Minnesota. Um, legend. I mean, the legend of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. You guys got along, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, yeah, got along really well. I mean, I, I loved him. You know, he he uh, he was so honest. You know, he, I, I can still still hear him. Like he'd come up, he'd be right right in your ear, and uh, he was honest with you. Though, he, if you didn't fight well that night, or or you needed to work on this or work on that, like he he, he was a good guy, and, and yeah. he loved. Yeah, he had encyclopedia, like encyclopedic yeah. type knowledge of mixed yeah. martial arts yeah. as well. Yeah, like he he was just he could recall facts. Yeah, like like nobody else, man. Just brilliant guy. Yeah, Travis, were you yeah. much? Did you did you party afterwards? You're not a drinker, are you? No, I've never. Sorry about that. I've. Uh, I've never drank in my life, or I drank once in my life, so I was never a big partier. So you were babysitting Shinaki then, huh? <laughs> it's always good when you got the big bodyguard, I can tell you that. No, was Shinaki okay. wasn't a big drinker either, though. No, he wasn't. Hardly ever, right? I, I think right. I think he may have been sober, actually. I think he was yeah. straight edge. Yeah. Yeah. You would have never guessed it based no. on his personality, but no. like that, and there was that inhibition that he didn't have was completely sober, which is frightening. And there was still babysitting to do because Schnaki, he was never quiet. You know what I mean? So yeah, so <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, uh, at this point, I, I I think Mario Roberto was your yeah. corner. Yeah. How, when did you transition to his school? So he he opened a a, a jujitsu gym in my hometown, Rochester, Minnesota. Um, and I started training with him full time. Um, 
2012, maybe. Now, let me ask you, is this full on putting on the gi kind of training with him? I've worn my gi a little bit. Um, he was pretty traditional. Um, after about a year, I didn't wear a gi. But uh, yeah, I did wear a gi for a little bit. Okay. And how would you compare him to Comprito? Honestly, Mario is, is one of the best guys I've ever worked with on the ground. Um, amazing how talented he is. Amazing how good he is. Um, Comprito was, was bigger. He was probably a bigger version of Mario. Um, but uh, Mario's amazing on the ground. Well, so, I mean, Miguel. I would, I'd probably go like Jeremy Horn 1, Mario 2, and maybe Comprito 3. Okay. So, Miguel, this is not the first time we've brought Mario Roberto's name up on this podcast. Yeah, Mar Mario's got, I don't know if you know, Travis, he's got real ties to Evansville and Hook and Shoot. And yes. A, a lot of the early guys, like yep. even before I was there, I used to train with him. He'd come up there. And uh, once I, I, I was matchmaker, I actually stuck him in with Jeremy Horn. And I think uh, yeah. they did a, a half-hour grappling match together. Yeah. So, yeah, you're talking about uh, guys who were around in the 90s. So it's good to hear Mario. Is Mario still living up there? Yeah, yeah. He still has a school. It's doing really well. Um, I don't get a chance to go to it anymore just because I, I moved a little bit further away. But I still, you know, stay in touch with him. And, and uh, his school's doing great. He's doing really well. He's uh, He's got a win over a junior in high school at the time named Aaron Riley. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. You hooked him. You hooked him in a tournament. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Riley. Aaron Riley was like 16, 17 years old in a grown wow. man's tournament. Yeah, he's an absolute stud. So Miguel, we have a virtual library uh, that we're still working on. We'll always be working on. On uh, the next opponent, I'm going to bring up, and that is Jeff Monson. Oh. Mm. Oh, boy. So you win a split decision over Jeff Monson at Cage Fighting Extreme. This is Target Center in Minneapolis. It's the main event. So, who's Did you use your mouthpiece that night, or mm -hmm. did Jeff use your mouthpiece? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember that. Well, um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's, we we got a lot of Jeff stories, and he apparently didn't bring a mouthpiece to a place. Oh, really? He actually stole Garrity's mouthpiece, used it, oh, and returned. Never it. asked him. Was going to return it without telling him. Yeah, I got caught. Yeah, I know Jeff <laughs> is. Yeah, talk about the fight first, and then have you got any Jeff Munson memories from that day? Because yeah, the, the fight wasn't uh, you know the most exciting fight. Um, you know, he couldn't take me down. I couldn't take him down. Um, neither of our standups were great. Uh, I ended up winning a split decision. I think I might've got one takedown off the cage on him. Um, uh, but he popped right back up, I think. Um, you know, huge, huge win for me at, at that, at that time, one of the biggest wins I'd had. Um, I remember I was just getting ready to go to the arena and I went down the, the hotel elevator and Munson was in the, uh, he was working out in, in the workout room 
and we ran into each other and and at the, I, obviously I knew who Jeff Munson was and man we sit we sat there and talked for for probably 30 minutes and great guy um, it just really stuck out to me you know why he was working out prior to the fight and you know at that time he at that point he he was I wouldn't say he was old by then but he was starting to and he said it it just took him so long to to get warmed up and into to just be ready to fight and that kind of always stuck with me because now I'm starting to get to that point um where yeah part of the the majority of the workout is just getting warmed up um that that's kind of always stuck out to me and and just how nice of a guy he was. Uh, I think I first met him at one of your shows, Miguel. Did he? I don't know if he cornered somebody. Mm -hmm. No, he fought Pat. Pat? Did he fight Pat Stano? Yeah, yeah, he fought yeah. on those early uh, MFC shows for sure. Yeah, and I, I met him there. Um, didn't get really a chance to talk to him, uh, but he's kind of one of the guys I've always looked up to just because his, his grappling is so great. And I remember, you know couple hours prior to us fighting I, I got a chance to talk to him and that was that was a pretty cool experience for me he, you know Travis <laughs> I, I, I gotta tell you something man if I were to recommend one interview that we've ever done it's Dennis Hallman the relationship between those two guys like Hallman didn't even want to talk about fights he wanted to talk about messing with with Jeff Monson yeah. and like these stories that, that were being told, like they, they were not believable. Like they were just like, come on, come on. You, there's no way you'd be living if you did something like that. So, so what, when we interviewed Jeff, he was like laughing. Oh yeah, he did that. Like essentially it was like, well, yeah, I worked security at a party. He said, Oh, here's your payment. It's in an envelope and it was cash in the envelope, but also pictures when he broke in my house and urinated on mine and my wife's toothbrush and we had no idea when he did it, so we've been brushing our teeth with it. Oh, and I'd be like, I'd be like, you didn't murder him? No, nah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, no, it was pretty. Yeah, I mean, it was just like we thought Dennis was lying to us a week ago. You know? Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so you didn't have any bizarre stories or dealings with him, huh? No, not not nothing really. I mean, we we uh, we crossed paths in in the hotel, and, and that was really about it. I do fascinating human being. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, you fought on M1 Global April 4, 2019 against uh, uh, Josu Lugo. Yeah. And Lugo at the time weighed 332 and you weighed 255 pounds. So promoter told me uh, it was at heavyweight. Uh, get to the show and I see my opponent and I clearly realize he's not, he's above 265. Um, Shannon Rich was kind of like the promoter. They're using his license. Oh gosh. That's and, frightening. And he told me, yeah, he, he's a little above 265. So I'm thinking, okay, he's 280, 285 for sure. 290. Yeah, he, got on, he got on the scale and he was over, well over 300. Um, did they find? Did they find him and give you some of his purse? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's three thirty-two. So Shannon was they used Shannon's promoter 
uh, license. And uh, Travis Fulton and Shannon Rich were on the undercard. Did Did you watch that fight? Yeah. Did it appear like legit, or was there acrobatics taking place? No, it was pretty legit because Travis uh, Shannon threw a high kick and it landed, and and that pissed Travis off. Um, and then it went into the second round, and Shannon got tired, and Travis was able to take him down. But it was legit because I remember talking to to Travis after the fight and, and he was pissed that he got hit with a high kick. And, uh, well, do you think, do you think it was a double cross on a fixed fight? Pissed? No, I don't think so because I, I'd been around Travis enough and <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he's up to something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the Yama pit fighting tournament, you won that. Yes. Yes. Do you huge still have that belt? One more time. What's that? Do you it was still a have huge night for me. You know, a lot of people make fun of that night or make fun of Yama and and this or that, but that was a huge night for me. I, I had three good wins, uh, beat Rico. Um, that propelled me into Sengoku, which got me those really good um, those really good paydays. Um, and Sengoku paid well. I think I got paid like ten grand. Um, you know, a lot of people give that show grief, but that was that was a great night for me. I think it was just more like the gimmick aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, you know, they kept talking about the pit, the pit. So essentially, yeah. essentially Yama was, they had like, I don't know, kind of like a wedge against the cage. So it allowed fighters to kind of get off their back faster. And that's what they were like, oh yeah, we got a wedge. We got the wedge. And it kind of, you know, in MMA folklore, it, you know, message boards and things of that nature, it was kind of, you know, an easy, but let's pick on this point. But everybody in that tournament was legit. And, you know, unlike that show in Minnesota that we talked about earlier, everyone got paid. Yeah, I got paid well. Now, you know? uh, what, what was that, you know, was that your first time meeting Mark Kerr? Yeah. First time at Mark Kerr, met Butterbean. Um, <laughs> so they were going like the Triller route. I mean, if you really look yeah. at it, they were just kind of ahead of their time. They had Butterbean, yeah. Mark Kerr. They were going to Triller route, except, you know, the social media wasn't what yeah. it is today. Then it is, it is today. Uh, Oleg, Oleg Tatara fought on that card. I met him. Yep. Um, yeah, it was a great night. The, the, yeah, anybody that fights on Yama, we bring it up. Well, I'm not lie. One of those guys is still fighting in UFC is Alexei Olenek, is it? Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about Kerr. How, you know, as a wrestler, as a guy who's been watching this sport now, Kerr is probably a guy you looked up to at this point. Now, in 2008, you're getting a real, like, like how, how did that feel? Like, talk, you know, talk from a wrestler and, and like a... Yeah, so yeah, I grew up watching, I mean, grew up into the sport watching Kerr and Obviously, with his wrestling background, he was a huge influence of mine. But at this point, it wasn't the Mark Kerr that – it wasn't the smashing machine. You know what I mean? It was it was 270 pounds not looking good Mark <laughs> Kerr. Um, yeah, that, that was – that was kind of sad to see him like that. Um, just because the, 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 the Mark Kerr that I seen was the smashing machine and – and uh, that that was a little bit disturbing to see at that 
Yeah. Well, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Earlier in this conversation, we had talked about Mark Kerr working on a Brock Lesnar's place. Yeah. Um, were you aware of why he stopped working out there? No. So, I mean, and this is out of Mark's admission in interviews. This is not something that uh, oh, maybe I, I would never this. forward this unless it came out of Mark's mouth. Yeah. And you could easily verify this on YouTube. Essentially, is he went on a bender. Yeah, uh, I did do this. Yep. Yeah, went on a bender and it was uh, kind of affecting Brock's family. Yep. And Brock is one of those guys that's very rigid yep. in regards to what his family is exposed to. And uh, he asked Mark to leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you say that, I, I do recall that. Yeah, Brock had a pretty strict policy in yep. regards to, uh, you know, what was and was not allowed, you know, on his compound. Now, let, let me ask you a question. You with, with when you get booked to train with Brock Lester for six months to a year, do you actually sign a contract? Is is does it get to be like that? Because I could see that, you know. The the last time um, I was supposed to. They wanted me to sign a contract, but I could only make it up there like once a week. And that just wasn't good enough for them, which I understood, whatever. Um, but but prior to that, I'd never had to sign anything. But yeah, there was talks about that. Did they pay you? Brock may have gave me some money, but it was never, I mean, like a hundred bucks or something. But, you know, took care of me as far as meals, gas, um, talked to me on the phone quite a bit about like personal issues, um, things that he had gone through in the past that I was going through at the time. Um, I mean, his wife who is Sable, who is a, a, a like a WWE or WWF. Yeah. Yeah. She, she used to babysit my daughter. Um, wow. so it, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, sometimes like in boxing, it doesn't translate to mixed martial art yet. Arts yet is a lot of times they break off their training partners, you know, a percentage of their purse. And it's unfortunate you don't really see that in mixed martial arts. You don't well, see that no. in MMA, especially well, no. when you're bringing people in. The, the, yeah. You know, and Travis, that may just be you being local and kind of bad luck again. You know, and I, I you hate to harp on that, but you know, I'm pretty sure he was paying Comprito. I'm pretty sure oh, yeah. he was paying Kerr. You know, so and that's why I, why I, I headed towards that thing of the sure. contract. You know, you're gonna pay somebody. Kerr probably had a sign saying, "Hey, Kerr fucked up, and he had a good yeah. gig there." <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So you know, that's probably why you had those personal conversations with them. Yeah, is because you weren't taking his money. Everyone else, yeah. yeah, you know, if you're paying somebody, they're not your friend. Yeah, no, he. I remember specifically, he was actually we were talking about child support. And he is something that he had gone through and I was going through it at the time. And man, we, we had uh, quite a few pretty long conversations on the phone about, you know, topics like that, that, you know, I, I didn't expect Brock Lesnar to be, to be taking his time to talk to me about, but yeah, I mean, he, he definitely helped me a lot. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, everyone that I've talked to in regards to him, I mean, there's levels of celebrity, that guy can't leave his house without, no. you know, no. getting hassled. Like he, he's yeah. not getting away with anything ever. No, no. And, you know, and he's, he's instead of being in Florida or yeah. you know, Texas, California, New York, you know, the guy, the guy's sitting in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Yep. No, great guy. And, uh, you know, 
we had. What the, was his house uh, like? Obviously, very nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was a huge, huge, uh, um, like complex. You know, it, it, a typical uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Secluded, huh? Yeah, it took me forever to find it. Um, <laughs> yeah, fifteen acres, his house, a guest house, like like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I talked about, I was a huge wrestling uh, pro wrestling fan, and his wife Sable was like a huge deal, like one of the greatest WWE divas of all time. And I pulled up, got out of the the truck I had with my daughter. My daughter was probably less than two. And he's like, Hey, my wife's in the in the house. Just take my wife up or take your daughter up to, to my wife and she'll watch her. And I'm like, you want me to take my daughter up to your wife who's Sable, who I've never met and say, Hey, here's my daughter. He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I remember knocking on the door and just, just being freaked out, you know, like, it was it was just a crazy experience. You know, she made Mark Merrow. With yeah. without her, yep. Mark Merrow would just be a mid card guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, she had star power, hundred yep. percent. Yep. All right. So this this is the part of the interview. I need every detail on a question I'm about to ask you, and it's it's the only person that really gives a shit about this. It's pretty much me. But, like, it really means a lot to me. I need to know about the greatest athletic event ever to take place that you were almost a part of, Gender Wars. Brad Kohler had this oh, amazing man. event called Gender Wars. Oh, man. So this probably takes the cake. So this is, like, after I was done with Kohler, I hadn't talked to him for years. And he and gets a hold of me. Let, me. let me ask you, though. You said you were done with it, but you were done like on, on a good basis. Like you used. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean. From the beginning, I, tell us everything. I, I can't really say anything too bad about him, but so he contacted, this is, this is just a few years ago. And he contacts me and says, he's doing a show and I was supposed to fight Wes Sims. Um, it's going to be in a warehouse in Minnesota, um, but we're we're telling everybody that it's in Russia. So obviously, I'm I'm not dumb, um, but I go along with it, you know, because it doesn't really affect me. Like, oh, dude, take... I want to know more for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to train, I'm going to train regardless. Right. So I just go along with it. I'm like, okay, Kohler. Like, so the more, so this is probably two months prior to the event, a month prior to the event. And um, I'm like, I'm like, Kohler, what am I going to tell people? What? I'm, go I'm going to Russia and I'm literally yeah. going to be gone for a day. Yeah. Give me the other <laughs> And he's like, we'll, we'll, he's like, we'll get you a hotel up here um in minneapolis um it's going to be in this secluded warehouse uh and i just continue to go along with it um obviously i know it's it's bs and i'm not telling anybody about this because it's just complete nonsense 
Um, and I'm, I'm going along with it. Like I'm fine with it. You know, I'm not really. He's paid every time before. And I think these were decent paydays he was throwing around. Right. Nah, he was like, he was giving him a couple hundred bucks. He wasn't giving him decent paydays. But for this, he's going to pay me like five grand. And, and I, obviously I'm, I'm not dumb. Cool. Like I know it, this is, you know, the happening. business, mm-hmm. yeah. but he continues to go along. I and mean, we're like the week of the show. And I think he wanted me to send, he wanted me to send like a picture of my, like a, like a headshot. And maybe, I, it was for your, maybe it was for the, uh, the visa to get to Russia. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I ended up not doing it. I can't remember why, but he, he literally like texts me in the middle of the night and he's like, you're off the card. Like I'm going to sue you. And, and, and uh, you know, you'll, you'll never fight again in the, the state of Minnesota. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Cor, what, like, what the heck happened? Like, I, I thought this was legit. You know I mean? I thought like, obviously I knew it wasn't legit, but I thought like this was, yeah, you you didn't pretend well enough. It, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. And so he pulled me off the card like the the day prior, and then um, like I some guy contacted me and I did an interview where I just I I like told the whole truth and and Kohler was so pissed at me and he he kept calling me and saying I was going to get sued and. Um, you know, his lawyer was going to contact me, but yeah, by far the, the most bizarre idea that, that okay. you know. was there a money guy? I mean, I, I'm trying to like piece this together because one, I love it. Like this is, to me, this is like a Scooby-Doo mystery. Yeah. yeah this is not an investigation. <laughs> this is a mystery. There's a big difference between those two. So I'm thinking, okay, so me and Sims are tight. So he starts telling me about, yeah, you know, Shannon Rich is on the card. He's a part of it. You got this dude fighting this chick from like Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. It's for a million dollars, you know. That's and, right. That's right. Yeah, it's for like a million dollars. And, um, you know, they're advertising it on social media. And uh, Sims is just like, yeah, no, dude, it's like this, this whole thing I think is like fake. And I start getting on their like Facebook social media. Because I wanted, after the, the woman beat the guy, I, I wanted her second fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I no, that's me. I want that. So I start going to a pro wrestling mode, you know, like saying, just like, I'm going to beat this woman. You know, and it's like, you shouldn't say those things. But it's like, wait a minute. I'm just trying to sell a fight. You know, Brad, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get the next bout, dude. I want to make a million, you know? And, um it was one of the most bonkers thing. I, I'm assuming that there was a money guy. Brad was just doing a kind of like a slow pull out of him. And we're going to make millions on pay-per-view. Guy bought into it. We're, we're going to save a ton of money by not actually going to Russia. Why he picked that country, who knows? I mean, he could have said, you know, Nebraska. There's no commission <laughs> there. Um save money, do it in the warehouse, and we're going to clean up on pay-per-view. And um, I talked to Sims, and, you know, Sims was very tight-lipped about it. Like, he was just like, yeah, dude, it's kind of bullshit. 
He's like, I don't even know where it's at. They're not telling me. They're making me check in saying I'm flying to Russia on it. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut. I'm like, of course, yeah, I'm not I'm not going down that road. So I'm like, yeah, you know, not a problem. Anyway, you know, I'm trying to get this rematch anyway. Yeah, or not the rematch, but the second bout with this woman. So I'm, you know, I'm in full pro wrestling mode at this point. And uh they gave Sims like 10 grand. Sims and Coleman were there, they would not budge until Wes got the money. And then for somehow the commission caught wind of it. I think it was kind of like a really poor kept secret. And um, Sims wouldn't give the cash back. So this is all news to me. So, so Wes Sims and Coleman were actually there. They were there and Sims wouldn't give the cash back. And the guy, the replacement fighter for yourself was a guy that I, I hooked up. And he drove, he drove to Russia from Chicago and Sims <laughs> gave him a grant. <laughs> and it was in, I think it was in Michigan. I think it was in Michigan. And uh, I would love to interview the money guy. I really, I really, you know, it was probably like a factory accident. Uh, you know, maybe hit by a truck, you know, something like where he came into a lot of money that, he probably shouldn't have had, and, and Kohler got as much out of him mm. as, as he possibly could. Yeah, so that's all new, because I kind of thought that the whole thing was BS. Like, Wes, I didn't really think Wes Sims even knew about it, but he was there. He was 100% there. 100% yeah. there. Oh, Kohler's and- got balls that big, dude. Are you, are you kidding me? So, I, But what I wanted to ask you is one of the repercussions for that is that I think Kohler – and several other people ate suspensions from the commission you with like $10,000 fines on top you, of that. You got your name out of there before any of that. You you're clean. I In talked fact, to the commission. I talked to the commissioner. It was shortly after the event. Cause I wanted to make sure that I, that I didn't get anything. Um, and, and no, I didn't get anything at all. So but I, go ahead. I, cause I remember the commissioner wanted to know, and I, yeah, I spilled my guts to him. Like I told him everything just because I didn't, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't involved in yeah, it. Yeah, you compete. You know what I mean? You're still trying to compete. And, and the, the crazy thing is, like, I didn't pull out. Like, Kohler pulled me off the card. If you went to did that, like, I, I would have did it. Like, I'm really surprised. <laughs> I, I'm really surprised that it actually, that, that like, Sims was there and Coleman was well, there. Well, like, fights actually took place. Shannon Rich actually did fight. I mean, it was a it was a fake fight, but he definitely did fight, and he got fined for it. And his excuse was, "I know it was a fixed fight. This is like you know theater, oh. blah 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 blah." And uh, the woman won by like knee bar. Sims gave me a heads up of like how the woman's fight was going to end, so I would go on that message board going, "I predict she wins by arm bar." Like I would always screw up whatever ending that was supposed to come through sure. by by publicly like posting it and uh no man i, I what do you think the reason was that he pulled you off this pretend i fight? have no idea until this day i don't know because i i definitely didn't pull myself I, I didn't pull out of the fight but i remember he texted me it was like 12 one o'clock in the morning because i didn't text him i was supposed to text him the day it was like thursday and I didn't text him. I can't remember why. And then he pulled me off the card. 
and then I was like, screw it. You, you want to go that way? Then I'll just, I'll tell everybody the truth. And, uh, but yeah, I, if he didn't pull me off, I, I would have been in the <laughs> same boat as him. Maybe. Yeah. You know, you, you could have done like you were saying, you know, how long am I going to stay for it? You should have had like a local MMA journalist drop you off in the woods and just go, <laughs> yeah, pick me up in like three days <laughs> and just like walk into the woods, like those old school, you know, Kumite's. <laughs> uh, that's, I think that's, that's what the move. I didn't even been. know that uh, the event happened. Yeah, yeah. Did the outside, I think Shannon the Cannon is still suspended uh, from fighting like outside of like Indian reservations and in foreign countries. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So that's crazy. That is insane. So Travis, who was your favorite referee ever? Uh, ever to fight in front of? Uh, favorite referee, uh, Big John. He, he, he refed when I fought in Abu Dhabi, he refed that both UFCs, um, couple other ones. Um, just cause you knew you were getting the real deal. You didn't, you didn't have to worry about anything when it came to the ref. Um, trying to think of the other one. I can't think of it, but but probably Big John. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Now let me ask you a question. Or somewhere along here, you you had a long Bellator run too. Was that yes? With, with, was that with uh, still under Bjorn Redney, or was that with Scott Coker? No, that was with Redney uh, when they were doing tournaments. Um, they uh, initially they had me just do a one fight deal. I fought their their champ, their two hundred five pound champ uh, Mupambu and I was the first guy to beat one of their beat one of their champs in a non title Why was that a non title bout? That's just the way the way they were doing things then. Cuz everything was evolved around everything evolved around the, the tournament um, at that point in Bellator. And then they brought me back. I was in the tournament lost in the finals. And then they brought me back again, and uh, uh, probably had the worst concussion I've ever had. Uh, he knocked me out, and that, that was a pretty bad one. And then that was, I think I fought from five times. Well, who was that, Ryan Martinez? Ryan Martinez, yo. Okay. Did I know? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, do you have memory issues with CTE? I don't know, like when we were talking, communicating back and forth, um, like I was, I was going to say, like, I don't really remember a lot um, about my fights. And then you would bring something up and I'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. And then I'd, I would look at like sure dog or, or tapology and then look at my record and be like, Oh yeah. Like I can remember the story or I can remember that fight. Um, but yeah, I there's honestly like a lot of things I just don't remember. If you thought so I don't about, know if it was because it was like 20 years ago or if it's CTE. So you're not like, like looking for car, your car keys and they're like no. in your bread basket or anything like of that nature. No. Have you, if you looked into alternative treatments like mushrooms or lion's mane, like lion's mane, psilocybin, um, things of that nature in order for kind of preventative measures for memory? No, I don't. So I'm a, I'm a paraprofessional at uh, the high school that I, and 
I think if I notice something, cause I'm in, I'm in the classroom with the students um, full time. If, if I think I was experiencing something, I would experience it uh, in, in the classroom, but I, I don't have any problems there. Um, I think it's just cause it was so long ago. Like I, I just don't remember. Like, would you, if you thought about like psilocybin or getting involved with those studies? I, I mean, if they contact, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I've never thought about it. Well, well let me ask you, Travis, to, uh, because you, you said that that was your worst concussion. Do you, do, you, do you have a number in your head? How many, how many have you been through? I think every time you've, you've been knocked out, you experience a concussion. Um, so I think I probably, I think I have 20 losses by, no, I have what, I have, what 15 losses by KO. And wow. I'd imagine probably another 15 in, in practice. So I'd probably say around 30. Yeah, there's like, I, you know, uh, back in those days, training in that militage gym, yeah. you know, those are rough days. They talk, you, yeah. you know, so, so it's the kind of thing, look, let me tell you, we do these interviews, you've been talking to us for a couple hours, you sound great. And yeah, it's, like, all, it's all good. So congratulations with that. But don't, you know, if, if somebody gives you a chance to take care of yourself, yeah. something like stem cells or something, don't be shy about it because, you know, yeah. you've, you've been through something not everybody on the planet can say, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so congrats. About 100 man. car crashes you've been through. <laughs> yeah. The crazy thing is, is like, I still feel really good. Like, you know, I don't get the opportunity to fight much anymore. And I, I know it's, because of my age and my record doesn't help me. Um, and just at the level I'm at, there's not a lot of shows no more, but like, I still feel really good. It, it, it really crazy to me, like how good I still feel. So I guess I'm just fortunate. You know, have you, like, if you had met, and I was talking to Miguel about this about a couple of weeks ago in regards to yourself, had you met Mario Roberto earlier on in your career? Do you think you would have concentrated mostly on jujitsu tournaments? No, I've did a few jujitsu tournaments. I don't like them. Um, really? No, I don't. They're they're too. Uh, I don't want to be like rude, but they're too lazy. Like, I think jujitsu is a very lazy sport. Um, I I've started to do more wrestling tournaments, like masters wrestling tournaments, and I really enjoy those. They they have a, a world tournament coming up in October, November. I'm going to try to do it's in Greece. Um, I, I really enjoy those. I, I've tried a few jujitsu tournaments. I just, and I don't like the vibe with them. I, I don't want to say anything bad about jujitsu, but it's just, it's not my thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, you had talked to Miguel. I said, you know, had you like implemented a Jeff Monson yeah. type, uh, like stalling, you know, he does a lot of stalling in his, yep. his grappling. Like, you're absolutely capable of having implementing that same system. Yeah. And I think you probably, you know, you probably would have done well in the in Abu Dhabi as well as, like, yep. you know, with, with some of the bigger tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's kind of one of the reasons why I always looked up to Munson is because he, he was such a great grappler and, and his technique and, and style was, you know, a little bit different than everybody else's. Very similar to mine. Yeah, I think you could have won well. Okay. Yeah. Well, Miguel, I think that's a wrap, man. We got him over two hours, so <laughs> we certainly got the we got all the juice we could squeeze at least this time. 
yeah, we could probably uh, have you back for a rain check because you know there's a lot a lot of stuff in in between here. I'd like to get into at some point, but I want to thank hey, you. Hey, but could you see his record? Like, there's so much there to where we would normally dig in, you know, in one area. That I mean, we're we're two and a half hours. Like, you like you can't because <laughs> it, it's just Miguel. It's one of the most intimidating records I've ever looked at. Like, I've yeah, we had Jeremy Horn. Obviously, we've we've had other hundred. Fight Club members, man, that record is so intimidating, man, especially when you're OCD and you got to like really kind of buckle down on it. Now, let me ask you, you know, to wrap it up here, you, we spent a couple hours with you. I've known you, you know, from the business a while and you're, you know, quiet, you keep to yourself. You're, you seem like a happy guy. You got your, your daughter, you know, you got your life going on and stuff. And that's interesting to me because you could be bitter, you know, because there are a few times in your career where almost, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. Some of the guys that you've been in, does that affect you at all? Or, or, you know, you overall stay happy. I'm very happy person. I, I, uh, very happy with, with where I'm at and what I'm doing and, and yeah, that I, I've, I've did, all those fights and I've gotten to travel around the world and, and I'm still healthy and I still, I still think I can compete. You know, I obviously probably not with the top guys, you know, I'm a, I'm a self realist, you know, I, I don't think I can compete for the UFC title, but I still think I can compete with, with high level guys. a lot of, a lot of guys. Um, so I, I, I I'm just happy where I'm at and, and happy with what I've experienced. And I've gotten to see so many cool things in this world. I, I got to go to Abu Dhabi and Dubai like that. That's like another world, you know, that's like a different place completely. And I've gotten to fight in Hawaii and Brazil and, and all over the world and see things I've, I've never would have gotten to see and met so many like awesome people that I'm still communicate with and, and talk to. I would have never got to meet him if it wasn't for the sport. So I, I'm just fortunate to, you know, to, to be involved in it. And, and I'm, I'm a pretty happy person. So I, that's good. That's yeah. all. You know, it's a, we're both, Mike and I both do a little bit of dabbling in history and stuff. And boxing is just so filled with like stories of like, you know, bitter endings and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's so cool when I catch up with someone like, like you, yeah. Like, who I think probably could have gotten further in the sport and yeah. maybe as a reason for it. And you're not, and that's just fucking awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, he never put all of his eggs in one basket. He always had a professional career and like his marathon or marathon or outlet was, you know, he liked the cage fight, you know, yeah. you know, it's. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, yeah, actually, I've always, I've always enjoyed the, the competition, you know, I, I've never looked at it as, as uh, a grudge or I've never gone into a, a fight angry. I, I just, I love fighting and I, I love competition and, and fighting is the, the ultimate form of competition. And it, it's just. Yeah. So, so Travis, how many times have you been stiffed by a promoter? I don't know. Not, not a lot. I mean, the, the, Any the names minutes? come to the top of that list that you care to share? 
You know, I'm trying to think. Well, that dude didn't give you your ticket money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, as soon as I got involved, as soon as my name was attached to Monty Cox, I got paid every time. That's because no, nobody was going to screw with Monty Cox. And that not, you know, we're going back 18 years. And mm-hmm. That's cool. That's good. I yeah. mean, it's one less thing you got to worry about. And that's a good oh, absolutely. So how about, how about an injury? What was like the worst injury you had to deal with? Cause it is also good that you're healthy. And I, uh, I was fighting Tim Haig up in uh, Edmonton and Stud. yeah, he hit me with a flying knee and it, it, it cracked my sternum. Um, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I I took him down after that, and I I was on top of him, and I was just in shock. I I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe, and the ref stood us up. And again, I was just too stubborn to 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 go down. Um, but I couldn't even keep my hands up. I I was just my whole body. I couldn't do anything. I was just frozen. And he hit me with an overhand right. And that was a bad knockout as well. But yeah, the cracked sternum was, was the worst injury I've had. Okay. Well, you know, the, the last eight years of Jeff Monson's career, he fought with one eye and never told anybody. Really? Yeah, he admitted that in the, in the interview with us. Wow. It's, he's, yeah. That's unbelievable. He, he admitted a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Wizenator. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then outed him for shooting. Like someone else's urine and into his own liver, so we could pass a <laughs> pee test. Actually, I, yeah. actually, I've done some medical research on this. He did say liver in the interview. He corrects himself later, and he does correctly say bladder. That's where he injected into his bladder, so they get you can shooting. And Hallman's shooting pee into your liver will kill you. <laughs> yeah. Hallman's concern wow. was, well, that's how you get an infection, or I think that's how you get an infection. Like I. Dude, what was going on in Washington back in the day? You know, Benji Raddick, Dennis Hallman, Aaron Riley, Josh Barnett, Salivary. Like, that that whole scene was nuts. Wow. That's why we got to get you back on, Travis, because I got a feeling that those days at Militich and stuff, that you're just the quiet guy in the corner, but you got a lot of stories, man. (laughs) You got a lot of stories. Yeah, there were good times down there. That, that That was a true family. You know, we... I wasn't say I would. I was really involved in in it because I was kind of traveling back and forth, um, and, and kind of came into the show a little bit late. But um, man, I had many good talks with Matt Hughes. Uh, Tim took care of me whenever I was down there. Um, Pat Pat passed on so much information to me. It, it was uh, it was a pretty cool experience. Why do you think Militage Fighting Systems Jim? Quit or uh, closed? Uh, probably egos. Um, and I think once Jeremy left, it, that was kind of the glue that held it together. And, and Jeremy left to Utah, and it just seemed like things kind of went downhill from there. Um, the other guys started to open up their other gyms, and you know, they wanted to open up their own gym. And, and, but I think the, the initial downfall was Jeremy leaving. Yeah. Let, let, let me ask you, because you're a heavyweight, right? So you, you get there, you got Tim Sylvia. They had other guys going through there, Nate Schroeder and stuff like that. They had a secret weapon dude named Mark Hansen. Do you remember Mark? Did you get a chance? I met, to... I met Mark uh, 
the very first time I was down there um, in the Quad Cities, um, probably one of the strongest guys I had ever worked out with. Compare um, compare him to Lester because he is you know like, Lesnar, kind of, like that. He's almost like kind of athlete. Lester's special, I know that. But Hanson could move for a two hundred and eighty pounder yeah. like nobody else, man. Lesnar wasn't freakishly strong like I thought he would be. Um, I worked out with a lot of heavyweights, um, and and Lesnar didn't jump out to me like I like Hanson did. Um, I mean, Tim Sylvia, one of the hardest guys I've ever had taking down, like his hips and just the amount of work he put into his technique as far as defending the takedown, like unbelievably hard to take down. I don't know if I ever got a takedown on him. Uh, Justin Islands, man, that kid was strong, unbelievably strong, like freakishly strong, like where you were scared to work out with him because he didn't know his own strength. Wow. And, and, and he would just do awkward things and you, you'd just be like, I, we shouldn't work out because you don't understand how strong you are. Wow. Yeah, yeah that was definitely a special room up there. Would I, would, yeah. I'm sure they'd all say that about you too, bro. Yeah, you, you know, I, I think part of their downfall as well, if I had to kind of pinpoint it, is – the the veteran kind of just group, they ran a lot of the new guys out. Yeah. So it was kind of like they kept getting older, but there wasn't like a younger sure. pack or a younger herd yeah. to kind of yeah. take their place. Yeah. It was they kind of ran out to other places. Because I, I know several people that went there that went on to have fantastic UFC careers, but said, yeah, no, they chased me out of there. You know, Marcus yeah. Davis is one. I mean, he'll, he'll readily admit that. Yeah, they ran me yeah. out of there. It was, it was definitely a close-knit group. Um, you know, I, I fought in the IFL, and that's how I, I really got brought into the group because I was on Militich's team. Um, did you get a ring? No, I never did because I got, I got whatever, not traded, but I got moved to a different team. Uh, the, traded. The, the championship uh, round or whatever. Um Rothwell but took I, your spot, I'm assuming. What's that? Did Rothwell take your spot? Yeah, yeah. and then I, I I went to Frank Shamrock's team. I thought Rothwell was there from the beginning, no? I was at 205. Oh, then so who the took first? Oh, it was Mike Sinisovich at 205, or was he 85? No, I was there, and I took Mike's spot. And okay. then the second one. Dude, we're Mike going team, IFL trivia. And yeah. I don't have any notes in front of me. I need, I need you guys to note that. So go ahead. I apologize. And then the second one, I went up to heavyweight, and then that's when Mike came in. Okay. And then the, the championship. And that's got, where Ben had his standoff with them. Yeah. Like in regards to contracts. Yeah. And then the third the third one was when I got moved to Frank Shamrock's team. I have no idea why. Now, did you meet Frank? I did. He's a, you know, I got a chance to work out with him the night before the show. After weigh-ins, we worked out together, and I learned more in that workout than I had in, in a number of years. Uh, Why does Jeremy Horn badmouth him? Well, I was just going to say, he's, he's definitely eccentric. He, he's different. 
but as like as far as a coach man his knowledge was 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 unbelievable like he was just he could really pinpoint things um but he's definitely uh i don't want to say weird but he's he's just eccentric he's a little different yeah he's, he uh, he likes to refer he, to himself in the third person yeah he, well, yeah, well, he always yeah the legend he refers to himself as the legend yeah. third person but yeah. like he did uh color commentary and dude, we're taking up a shitload of your time. So I'm apologizing. No, you're good. Man. This is fun. I love it. Dude, we're so far off topic right now. <laughs> it's only, this is probably where we should have started. So he does color commentary at like the Playboy Mansion. And okay. they sit a blonde next to him. I, I don't have her name, I, nor would I ever present it. I don't care. Um, and he's on like a date. Like he doesn't give a shit. What's yeah. happening in that cage? She's like, "Well, hey, you know, I'm, you know, first you person tells her that he's the legend, and then he starts kind of like letting her know what's happening in there. But you know, he's the champ, and ah, oh, dude, it's yeah, it, it's it's literally a blind date that you're on. It's yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, he, he was definitely a little different. Um, great coach, though. I like so I what, said, we what, have... like Jeremy shits on his groundwork, but what did he go over with you, like? You know, no, stand does. up, stand up, and just being a wrestler and and, and be able to, to put those two things together. And, and, and you know, uh, let's call it what it is. Like what he does in a match can be completely separate than the knowledge he and ha- the ability he has to explain things away. Yeah. Yep. So why did you never leave Minnesota in regards to training? You never really did. Um, I I mean I I moved out to Utah for about a year. Um, but you stayed I, like in that same like you yeah. never got out of like I never really needed fighting to. or Minnesota. You know, I, was, I, was, I never really needed to. I was close enough to Pats where I could go down there. Um, I I had a lot of confidence in Dave Manet. Um, and then I by that time, and I started working with Mario. I mean. I just didn't feel feel I needed to. Okay, um, you didn't feel like going one of those like super gyms like Eric Del Fierro or Mark, Mark Delagrate, any of those guys, I, huh? No, I mean, I kind of knew what I was good at, and and you know, Mario was was great on the ground, or he's great on the ground, and and I felt like I had everything here. I didn't really feel like I needed to. And Minnesota's actually got a pretty good boxing scene as well. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it. we had a great MMA scene too. You know, Monty was doing great shows and there's a couple other promoters doing good shows. And now it's just dead. Like, there's literally nothing here. And it, it's sad because, yeah, it, it used to be because, you know, the, the Minnesota Martial Arts Academy was, was producing great fighters. and Now there's nothing. You know... Minet, here you had Daryl Gunth Miller, you know, yeah. guy never made it to the UFC, fantastic yeah. record. You had was Joey Clark, another yeah. mid-level guy that yeah. 90% of our audience probably never heard of. I think he's 18 and four. I mean, and then you got yourself, Sean Shirk, Dave yeah. Minet. You know, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of talent coming out of Minnesota. There really yeah. is. Yeah, it's it's sad that they. You know, Nick Thompson moved out there. Derek Noble yeah. moved out there. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot there, you know. Was Kyle Jensen from there? Who? Kyle Jensen? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, is it Kyle Bork. Jensen or is it Zach Jensen? I think it's Kyle. Kyle's the one Kyle. I'm, the old school guy, though. Old, old no, no. There's right? Zach. He was on the Ultimate Fighter yep, and, with the heavyweights. He was, he was a heavyweight. He was in Lesnar's camp. Um, Zach Jensen was? A little bit, yeah. Dude, that guy's got a crazy story. He was in uh, – I'm going to say it. I don't care. I mean, if I run into the guy, it is what it is. Um, he's in Puerto Vallarta doing bodyguard work. Now? Back in the day. Oh, okay. He's doing bodyguard work for a real wealthy guy. He went down to kind of look over his daughter, and she's there with her boyfriend. Uh, Zach is – I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just – kind of forecasting, being the tough guy, big guy. And, you know, you got to remember, like, this girl and boyfriend are in their 20s, you know, early 20s. And Zach ends up beating him up in the bathroom, and the guy dies. Really? Yes. The guy dies. So he dies. Zach gets questions, saying it's self-defense. The Mexican authorities never dealt with this. And, you know, there's in Puerto Vallarta in, in, in tourist ports, there's always a hands off policy. I live there. So, like, I, I'm, I'm speaking from actual experience here. I, and I spent a couple of days in a Mexican jail because I wouldn't pay my friggin speeding ticket that they try to get you $100 out of. So, like, I'm real familiar with that system. They let him go for future questioning. Well, he jumps on a plane and it never put a hold on his ticket. And he's in the United States and they just closed the case. Really? When, when he goes to the Ultimate Fighter, this happened just before he leaves there. Everyone's like, man, what the hell is wrong with this guy? And Sims, you know, that's my buddy. They're driving on him because he's just off and weird. And in his mind, he's leaving this house and probably going to get, you know, put on a federal you know, plane and brought back to Puerto Vallarta in really? order to, to face the consequences. And Sims was telling me, like, at night, he'd just be crying his eyes out. Like, he'd be bawling his eyes out. Wow, that's crazy. And, yeah, the family, unfortunately, another Minnesota family, they never got justice for that. Really? Yeah, and, wow. in fact, I think a lot of that footage from The Ultimate Fighter, which you got to remember, we all watch it. Somebody breaks every year, and they kind of highlight it. Yeah. He broke that year, and they completely – just ignored it because a lot of that footage sure, sure. Got, got, got sent to uh, the legal teams, like whatever lawyers were involved. And wow. Sims was like, I couldn't believe it. Like, we had this guy crying and he went, he just broke. And he's just like, no, man, they cut as much of him out of that wow. season as possible. Driver, how come, you, how, come, how come you never did the Ultimate Fighter? What, you know, what, we ever asked? Was the story? Never there? got asked to. Wow. That's did you try show. out? No, I mean, yeah, there comes a point where with your resume, you know, it's like doing a tryout in Miami, trying to get it. That's not cool anymore, you know. Well, you know, that's the. the uh, I've really wanted to try this bare knuckle thing, you know, and they want me to uh, do a tryout, and I, I keep telling them like I have a hundred MMA fights. Do I really need to do a, a a tryout? Like, what more do you need to see? So. That, that, that bare knuckle thing's kind of interesting to me, but they want me to do a tryout, which I think. Talk I, to Chris. Yeah, it's, it's going to say something to him. 
We'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get you the hookup. We'll get you the hookup. Yeah. Talk to Chris, dude. I mean, he's he's the color commentator. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Him and Sean Wheelock, like they found each other. Like yeah. Wheelock just the way he uses words and so fast. He's so fast sure. with it, and then he leaves like openings, and Chris yeah. just fills that hole. It's man, dude. I, I love listening to those guys. You know, break down those the spare knuckle fights. Yeah, we, we've been we've been trying to close for a little bit, but so but Travis, you know, you're not the first dude that brings up bare knuckles. That that what interests you about that? You know, is it honestly for me? It's a uh, a toughness thing. See how tough I am. I think I'm a pretty tough guy. I <laughs> I, uh, I think I could probably you know the the five two minute rounds is something that I think I could do pretty well with as far as. Um, you know, conditioning and, and, um, I heard they're paying pretty well, but honestly, it's, it's a, maybe a little bit of an ego thing for me. I, I kind of want to leave this sport or whatever sport saying, you know, you can say, say you did it. You can yeah. say you did it, you know, yeah. I mean, just a life experience. It's really not about money at this point. Yeah. You know, I consider myself a pretty tough guy and, that that's about as tough as it gets. So I, yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of the dudes do that. That's what they describe is it's it brings back that edge from the old days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, when I'm done, I, I don't want to leave any stones unturned, and that's uh, that's one that I want to turn still. So that's super cool. Cool. All right, Miguel. Do we got like we're three hours? We're three hours right now. <laughs> right. Hey, I want to so. thank you guys. This has been a lot of fun for me. So this is cool. But you, you know, Trav, we do this a lot. Like, you know, it's just yeah. as fun for us and we clip it all out and, you know, we yep. throw it online and, you know, you, you, you've liked a lot of our stuff and shared yeah. it. Um, yeah. I think in the next two and a half months, Miguel and I are going to try to knock out 40 interviews. And like, you see That's how cool. like we go super deep on them. Sure. So I, I try to watch as much as possible. Yeah. Like, a cornerman name. So we're going to try to do 40 interviews in three months. Wow. That's awesome. I, yeah. It's cool. I mean, I, really, I enjoyed yeah. this. So. Yeah, for sure. Trav, definitely good catching up. And like I said, a bunch more questions. We'll keep in touch. And hey, absolutely. All good, man. Thanks, Thanks Trav. You, Appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks. Right. I appreciate it. We'll see you guys. Take care. Yeah. Take care, guys.